And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is another busy broadcast day. And I um, I have to start with, uh, with something I'm a bit reluctant to share, but we will we will get there. All right. We're live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Com. Everybody say hi, Todd. We are broadcasting live to YouTube, uh, Rumble, and uh, Odyssey. So far, right now, it looks like we're not buffering on YouTube, but uh, you guys give me a heads up if it is. My chat widget doesn't look like it's working here. What's, what's up with that? I just installed a new version of it. Not happy about that. It doesn't seem to be working. Alright, so we'll mess with it later. <sighs> like I said, we are broadcasting live. If you are not with us live, you're here on uh, the replay, you are more than welcome to leave your comments or uh, any of you can share your thoughts with an email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Shout out to everybody who's listening to this as a podcast. Uh, we're on a number of different platforms, and it does look like the, the most recent episodes are still loading, even though I'm not getting any listener counts over on the hosting site. They're having some problems still. Uh, but I do see the map again, uh, so I can see our, our listeners that are showing up in Germany, among other places. Okay, so let me start here. <clears throat> with something I am I am a little reluctant to do, but I need to do this. It is a it is a bitter pill for me to swallow. It's going to be hard for you to hear, but in the interest of honesty and transparency, I am compelled to admit I was wrong. <clears throat> it doesn't happen very often. But I was in error earlier this week. And I'll tell you why. Because on Monday and Tuesday, yeah, both both uh, yesterday and day before, <coughs> we've been talking about the, the situation with the Walt Disney Company. And I said... You know, last week you had the, the Epic Universe announcement. You had uh, Nelson Peltz coming out saying, <coughs> here are the two board members that we want to, to remove. You had uh, the, the, the First Amendment lawsuit that Disney brought against the state of Florida tossed out. And then over the weekend, you had the Elon Musk uh, appearance with Nelson Peltz and his family. And we were talking about all this stuff. 
And I speculated. I said, what probably will happen is we'll get the Disney earnings call on Wednesday, which is today, this afternoon at uh, at 4.30 Eastern. And after that, they'll they'll... You know, everything's great, everything's nice and fine and wonderful, and pats on the back all around. And then all of the trade articles would be out, all the magazines, you know, Hollywood Hollywood Reporter and Deadline Variety would do all their attaboys. And sometime on Thursday afternoon, Friday, maybe into Monday, that's when the next shoe would drop with regard to something else. I was wrong. Because that shoe dropped yesterday uh, with Gina Carano uh, finally, for for a lot of people, finally laying in a lawsuit against the Walt Disney Company and Lucasfilm for wrongful termination and sex discrimination. So, yeah, that's that's been, of course burning up the social media for the last uh, 24 hours or so. And and this dropped right after we closed out the show yesterday. If I had not gone if I had not done a short show, if I had gone through the full 3 hours, then I would have seen this and it would have been breaking news. But I didn't think it was going to happen yesterday. I mean, we were all this speculation. We had this. We had the earnings call coming today. I figured, but it also now has me speculating. And I and I will admit, this is speculation. It has me speculating that something else is coming. Because remember. Drunk 3PO, Jay has said on Culture Casino's channel a long time, it was probably, what, three, two months ago, three months ago, when he dropped in on Sunday night and said that there was a batch of emails, and he said there was a nuclear bomb waiting to go off. And I don't think we've seen that nuclear bomb yet, and I, I think that this, uh, this lawsuit assuming that Gina doesn't settle, and I don't think she will, but that's just me. I think that when, uh, when, when all of this comes to light, I think those emails will come out. I think Kathleen Kennedy is not going to end up looking very good in all of this. And... You stop and consider, too, this is not the only lawsuit that is currently in process against the Walt Disney Company. Remember, Karen McCarthy's lawsuit is still out there over the acolyte. And Julia Oman's lawsuit is still out there over Harvey Weinstein. And I would bet you even money that Julia Oman's uh, suit will splash over onto Leslie Headland because of course it will because reasons right <coughs> so all of that's going on now what that means is tomorrow's show here is going to be 
how 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 do the uh, how do the kids say it? Lit. Tomorrow's show is going to be something. We are going to be talking about the earnings call. We're going to be talking about the lawsuit. We'll also look at Paramount's, uh, all of the stuff going on with Paramount Global. Dan Danford will be here. Cameron Pasha will be back. Judah Inglemeyer will be back. We're going to cover all of this stuff from the various different angles, investment and, and inside baseball, Hollywood stuff, and the PR angle. Destiny Bounds will be here to offer her uh, legal perspective because she is a business lawyer. And Mexican Iron Man's gonna pop out. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good show tomorrow. But it's gonna be a good show today, too. Because coming up in the second hour, Michael Litvak will be here to talk about his new movie, Molly and Max in the Future, that opens on the ninth. So uh, we will be doing that in the second hour. All right, let's get to headlines because there's other stuff happening besides Gina Carano's lawsuit against against Disney. <laughs> so let's let's roll that beautiful bean footage. We've got a trailer for the prequel, uh, the uh, A Quiet Place Day One. Lupita Nyong'o uh, in the lead for this. I have not looked at it. Um, I'm not a I'm not a horror fan, but the the trailer is out there, and it is the beginning. It shows the beginning of where all of this happened in this universe. So that's out there now. In the wake of the lawsuit against Walt Disney Company, we did get this. It almost feels like it's tennis. You know, this person hits, and then this person hits, and then that person hits, and that person hits. Because we got this in the afternoon, a team-up between Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Fox. And this is not 20th Century Fox that Disney owns. This is the other Fox. This is Fox Corp., which is Fox News, not 20th Century Studios. So it says here in a blockbuster agreement, Disney CEO Bob Iger says is an important step forward for the media business, the Walt Disney Company, Fox Corp., and Warner Brothers Discovery will team up on a new company that combines streaming sports rights. Untitled streaming platform will offer live linear channels like ESPN, ABC, Fox, TNT, and TBS, games and other sports rights from all three media giants on a non-exclusive basis, meaning they'll still be able to launch their own offerings. The service will be available directly to consumers, but will also be available as a bundle with uh, Max, ESPN+, Plus, Hulu. So this this is a thing. I don't know exactly what's what's motivating this other than the fact that hey, we can't make money, why don't we all not make money together? <coughs> Cuz this is this is a this feels like and I've seen some some other people expressing the opinion that this feels like this is a move engineered to prevent the tech companies uh, from taking a bite of the streaming stuff. So at, look, at, look at Apple and Microsoft and, and that sort of thing. So that's coming. Um, I, honestly, it's sports. I'm not, I'm not big on sports, so okay, whatever. we got some casting news here. Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches adds uh, Thora Birch, Ted Levine, and Alice Gerald's uh, interview with the Vampire sets the season two premiere date. So uh, Thora Birch, 
Uh, Alice, Alice, Alyssa Geralds has joined Mayfair Witches Season 2 as a series regular, playing Moira Mayfair, uh, Rowan Fielding's cousin and a mind reader who blames the family and Lasher for the death of her sister Tessa. As a recurring guest star, Ted Levine, you know him from uh, Silence of the Lambs and Monk. Uh, he will play Julian Mayfair, Cortland's father, uh, master manipulator and diabolical presence that haunts the family. Thora Birch guest stars as Gifford Mayfair, self-deprecating tarot card reader, and wannabe bohemian who lately spends a lot of time at her lake house. So that's, uh, that's going on. Season 2 currently in production New Orleans. Interview with a Vampire debuts its second season on May 12th. So that's coming soon from uh, from the mind of Anne Rice. A lot of horror stuff. We got we've got horror. I mean, horror is less expensive. It's easier to do sometimes. So we have this. Feels like I'm talking too fast. Am I talking too fast? A little fast, but not too fast. All right. Uh, Variety headline here. Dave Franco and Allison Brie to star in a codependency horror film called Together. Uh, Apparently, oh, they're married in real life. Set to star in the horror film Together. Feature film comes from first-time writer-director Michael Shanks. Not the same name. Is it? No. Is it not? It's not the same one? Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought we had a Stargate connection there, but I guess I'll we don't. <clears throat> okay. I mean, he's directed episodes of Stargate, so he wouldn't be a first-time director unless it's a first-time feature, maybe. They I were showing a picture on one of the whatchamacallits, and it didn't look like him. Yeah. Too young. All right. Together we'll explore the horror of codependency told in a unique way. With additional details being kept under wraps, Franco and Brie also produced the film alongside Picture Start, Tango, 121, and Princess Pictures. Uh, Real Life Couples, Last Couple, somebody used to... Alright, so there is a horror film about codependency. Jonathan Majors... Has his sentencing now scheduled for April 8th? Um, delayed temporarily after his defense team filed a motion to set aside the verdict. Uh, the Creed 3 actor was convicted in December of reckless assault in the third degree misdemeanor and harassment in the second degree, which is a violation. These charges carry a potential sentence of up to one year in prison. The sentencing was initially set to take place Tuesday. Majors appeared virtually for the hearing in which prosecutors said they needed time to respond to the motion, which was filed on Monday. Charges stem from an incident March 25th. All right, so so the, he was supposed to be sentenced on Tuesday, and he wasn't. They, the, the defense said, you've rendered a gr- guilty verdict here, and we would like to get rid of the guilty verdict. And so now they've, you know, the the prosecution has to respond to the defense filing. So the the sentencing has been delayed 
to uh, to accommodate that. Speaking of, well, let's go here. This this is one. See, we we get these we get these things, and we we keep hearing about projects because you know it's good to see stuff that's not franchise. So it's not Star Wars, it's not Star Trek, it's not Doctor Who, it's not stuff we see over and over again, Jurassic Park. New stuff. This is encouraging. Dave Bautista to star in futuristic action-adventure Afterburn with Samuel L. Jackson. Hopefully Samuel L. Jackson gets more to do than he did in Argyle. <coughs> it is an adaptation of a Red 5 comic. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy and Dune actor Dave Bautista has found his next big canvas action movie, which means it's going to have a budget, in the shape of post-apocalyptic adventure story Afterburn. Oscar nominee Samuel L. Jackson also on board for this one, which is set 10 years after a solar flare has wiped out technology across the globe. Yes, Mrs. Boss, you have something there. I stand corrected. Is it? Yes. It's him. Yes. It's Michael Shanks. It is Michael Shanks. Daniel Jackson is doing a horror movie. Daniel Jackson is... Uh, well, look at everything he's been through. I mean, he's, what, died how many times and come back? Right. Exactly. So who else is going to be good at this? Uh, Daniel Jackson doing a horror movie. Who would have thought? Indeed. Indeed. All right. Let me try this again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refresh this thing and see... Somebody, somebody, throw a chat somewhere and see if this thing catches it, because I don't know that this is working, and I don't think uh, I don't think this is going to be something. Anyway, uh, but I see Cam in there. I see Keeley there. I see Death Angel Shadow. I see Michael. Um, somebody, somebody, say something in the chat. Let me see if this widget is working. Chat or a super? Well, I mean, I'll take a super chat any any day, but. Nope, it does not. Oh, it's okay. So it's grabbing, it's grabbing Odyssey. Why is it not grabbing? Why is it not grabbing YouTube? All right, hold on. Let me, let me do this. Let me, let me refresh this window. I don't know why it would be doing that. All right, try it again. Let's see. Because it looked like okay. So he grabbed Canard's, uh thing over on. Odyssey, there is that. But for some reason, it doesn't look like it's grabbing YouTube. Why is it not grabbing YouTube? You guys watching YouTube? Give me a, give me a, give me another one because I just reset the button. Let's see if it's going to take it. Because we got an update, <coughs> and anything, it's it's not grabbing anything from. Oh, there it is. All right, Death Angel Shadow. Okay, now it's working. I don't know why. All right. I don't know why it was doing that. Now it's working. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we got an update on Social Stream Ninja, which is the which is the plugin that we use for this kind of stuff, and a couple of pieces of it aren't working properly. <coughs> and just for a second there, it wasn't working at all. All right, uh, continuing here with this article. Bautista will play ex-soldier Jake who works as a treasure hunter recovering valuable objects from the old world for powerful clients. His latest mission is to team with freedom fighter Drea 
to recover the Mona Lisa before an unhinged warlord gets there first. So, National Treasure meets Mad Max? Maybe? Film will be directed by J.J. Perry, who recently wrapped production on Lionsgate's The Killer's Game, also with Bautista, known for his work as a second unit director and stunt coordinator on the John Wick and Fast and Furious franchises. Okay, well... All right. Hopefully, uh, Samuel L. Jackson gets more to do than just sit and watch basketball. I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. All right. I want to see if this is going to work here because. I don't know what this is going to look like. Let's see. What is that? What does that look like? So Marisa Wolf. Nope. Okay. Twitter is still broken. The Twitter grab for this widget is still broken. I have reported the bug. Because that's what that's what we do here. We are conscientious and responsible adults. If something's broken, we say, hey, this is broken. It needs to be fixed. So business aspects of things, we've got um, we've got this article in Variety because we've got you know like I said we mentioned the Disney earnings call this afternoon. We are not going to snipe it. Uh, everybody's going to be over watching Valiant Renegade, so there's no point in us doing anything live. So I will watch it and record it. We will have uh, snippets for tomorrow's analysis and discussion. Uh, but in the meantime, we were getting quarterly reports from other companies as well. Here's Fox. Uh, quarter, second quarter profit falls 20% on advertising decline, and I imagine we're going to see this a lot too. Fox Corp said profit fell noticeably in its second fiscal quarter due in part to a 20% dip in advertising revenue that reflected the absence of an outsized sporting event like the FIFA Men's World Cup in the period as well as lower political advertising at its stations and a continued glut of cheaper direct response advertising that's filled commercial breaks at many cable news outlets. So, um, okay, what this what this says to me, the, my biggest takeaway here is the political advertising is going other places. The political ad spend, and this, and there's going to be a lot of it this year, but it's not going to the traditional places. It's not going to your 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 usual suspects as far as news outlets go. I imagine it's going to go to a lot of alternative media. It's going to go to podcasts. It's going to go to uh, YouTube and Rumble streams. There's going to be a lot of lot of advertising. There's going to be a lot of money spent, but it's not going to be on on the places where you usually find it. And we're already starting to see that uh, uh, manifest itself. All right. Canard um, says I've seen ads on Pluto TV grow. Must be cheaper to advertise there. Well, uh, we got a thing. We got a thing here about. A year ago, I think, year and a half ago from Hulu, it was a special promotion they were running that you could do advertising on Hulu for as little as five hundred dollars. 
and it's a it's an attractive package. We didn't have the five hundred dollars, but you know they are making efforts. And you know with all of these fast channels, there are all sorts of places where advertising spending will take place, and it won't be on your traditional networks. So Hulu, uh, Pluto TV. And, and you know Netflix and this Disney Plus has an ad tier now, right? An ad supported tier. Uh, yes. And Peacock, I think pretty much all the streaming everybody's services now, Amazon. I think everybody's got an ad an ad tier as their basic level, and then if you want to go ad free, you got to pay a premium. So that's uh, that's the reality now, and we're back to how things were. Pre-cable, you're watching a TV station, you're watching a show, and there's going to be commercials, which, <coughs> which means, uh, which means that you're going to have to, if you're a creative person, and and yes, Death Angel Shadow, you're right, we've gone full circle. Um, why did that do that? Okay, hold on here. That's not supposed to be there. This one, this one. Oh, I know what happens because I reset it. All right. There it is. All right. Wait. Oh, oh, I know. Okay, there it is. (coughs) Anyway. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where it's going to be. You're going to have advertising spending on all of these fast channels, all these free ad-supported channels, and you're going to have money spent on the ad-level tiers for uh, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, all of those things. And it's going to be just like it used to be before cable. And and yeah, Death Angel Shadow, remember when cable TV was sold as commercial-free television? And it was, and for certain channels, it it's still commercial-free. You know, your premium stuff like HBO, Cinemax, and, and, and the movie channels are pretty much commercial-free. Uh, and I think when you started getting into the specialty niche channels, things like learning channels, sci-fi channel, uh, home, uh, home, uh, home and garden TV, uh, A&E, it, that stuff, there's opportunity there to advertise to a niche audience. So it doesn't surprise me at all that we got advertising on cable. I'm surprised that it took this long to even crack open the notion of advertising on streaming services because it's it's not it's not a movie theater. You have this hybrid programming of both movies and television shows. So it it's kind of it's kind of like an HBO a Cinemax it's just on demand you just hit play whenever you hit play you're not following a set schedule that they're delivering the movie at three o'clock followed by a TV show at five o'clock followed by another movie at six o'clock that kind of thing it's it's on demand so it's you know it's inevitable it was inevitable when they started it and I even said at the, at the time one of these days what we're gonna get, is bundling of the different streaming services, streaming packages, like they used to do with cable. 
Yes, Mrs. Boss. No, I was just going to say, they've been av- having ad tears for a very long time. It's just now they're stuffing it down your throat for a much larger price. Because I know seven years ago when I got myself Hulu for the first time, because it was the only place I could watch 90210, I did the ad-free tier. I mean, that was seven seven years, yeah, in 2016, <clears throat> because I didn't want to have to deal with advertisements. And I don't remember with Netflix, because it has been that long that I've been on Netflix. It's just now they're, like I said, jacking up the price for the ad-based, and mm-hmm. the non-ad-based is even more high than yeah. what it is. And I mean, and with Hulu, it really kills me because <clears throat> it's $10. I mean, it went from being $10 a month for the non-ads. And now if I want to have the non-ads, it's going to be $18, I believe, 18 or $19 a month. I mean, they they didn't just raise the price. They went $10 more just to keep it with no ads. Well, and and that's not going to be the only time that happens either. Well, no, but it's enough where you have to start second-guessing, is this worth it at this point? Because not only, you know, with the bundling, that goes up. Well, what about the rest of, you know, I don't want ESPN, mm-hmm. but we do have Disney+. Plus. It's like... So, yeah, we got godfathered in so that we grandfathered could... Grandfathered I'm sorry. Grandfathered in. <laughs> we so got godfathered. We We're going to give you a deal you can't refuse. <laughs> With a horse in the, he- or in the be- a horse head in the bed. But, <sighs> you know, it's just, it's kind of like, okay, so how much are you really going to raise all these yeah. up? Because, you know what? Yeah. Canard says, I remember when Hulu used to be free. Well, I do too. Well, yeah, and you know, you yeah, you can have a Roku, which is great because you can, you know, in one place have all your streaming, but then they have their free channels which are TV. And some of them are like a TV channel where you turn it on and that just happens to be what's on. I get updates from a friend because there's a channel that has 90210 on every day, but it's run like a regular TV channel, even though it's on Roku. Nine That sounds like a zip code. Is that a that's a zip? Is that out? Is that out west somewhere? Shut up. <laughs> You're just lucky I didn't drive you over there. Oh, uh, I tell you. I could show you the house. It's not all the way in nine o two no. It is actually Na- wait nine o two no. Where's where's nine o two no? Nine o two no. It's right. over in the nine o two no province. <laughs> On Vegas Six is is where they have the is where they have the, the house the, the is in Arcadia. People. You're just like what? Where? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine oh two no. You be nice because I will make you sit down and watch that. You show. know that's coming back. Yeah, that's that's gonna come back on you, right? That what? You know that's gonna come back on you. What? Nine oh two no. You know, I'm going to make you watch it. I sit and watch. <laughs> no, 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 no. I sit I'm and not, watch a I'm lot of your it. stuff. I'm not watching I'm I caught pieces of it when it was new. 
I, I don't need to see any more. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You even have the cassette tape of the soundtrack for the first season. What? Yes, you do. I do? Yes. Not not through any agency of mine. Well, I don't know where it came from unless 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 the first the one. The fact had that it. you even have it, first of all, and second of all, the fact that they had issues with getting that put together because of copyright or however you want to put it. Yeah, so yeah, pretty cool in that sense. But yes, mm. you do have it. I will go look for it. No, that's okay. I will okay. show it off. That's okay. But yes, I will make you sit and watch it. Because if I can watch your stuff, no. you can watch my stuff too. Do you want to do you want to vamp for a minute and tell people about all of the stuff that I've made you watch for for a second? Or? Do you need to go get coffee? I, I need to go refill my coffee mug. Yes. So I can vamp all I want. Well, okay. Have at it. Apparently, I get to have at it and vamp to you guys on all of Mr. Boss's flaws. I have no flaws. This is one of those times where he is n not right. Because, you know, that doesn't happen. I'm going to look at the chat, see what people are saying. Classic who all day long. Yeah, they do have that on there. And... Uh, Oh, I do have the DVDs. In fact, Mr. Boss, for our Christmas, anniversary, birthday, things like that, I think I'm up to season six now that he has purchased for me. Um, I do have one season doubled. And um, I think the kid got me one season. No, the kid got me this, uh, the Christmas my Christmas gift this year, and it was one of the seasons. But yes, I, I do, I do have all that, and I will make him watch it because I have watched lots of cartoons, and that are you know things that he's picked out because I need to be educated on this stuff, and I have watched DC movies the cartoon things that he's picked out. Those ones, not really up my thing, but I smile and nod and look pretty. And what else? I mean, I mean I'm, according to him, I'm allowed to pick a movie a year. There's a, there's a question in the chat for you from RV Life. Do I see the Hope Diamond hanging above the microphone? No, no, it's a weight, technically, <laughs> because this arm thing likes to go flying upward, and I'm not that tall. Yeah, I'm not sure why it started doing that, because everything over there has been tightened down and locked in place, and say it shouldn't be flying all over. Well, no, but it, it was this bottom part. It wouldn't stay down while I was using the mic. I know, and it, so, shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be doing that. That's what I'm saying. Well, your stuff is flawed. And uh, so, yeah, so I made something that looked pretty since it was going to end up being on camera, too. So, so. that was one craft project one mm -hmm. night. 
All right. So here's here is a headline as we as we anticipate. Did you did you manage to go through all of the all of the shows that I've been making you watch, or did I interrupt the list? I didn't go through the shows. Okay. I, I gave you know just the ideas that there are shows that we've been watching, and and the fact that there are movies that I've had to watch too that you've picked out. But the problem is when it comes to some of those, like the DC cartoon ones. I don't remember any of them. It's like watching Justice League. I don't remember watching it twice. Well, part of that, part of that could be the fact that you try to multitask while I'm trying to edumacate you. Okay, well, there's edumacating and being interested in what you're edumacating me. I see, I see, I see how it is. I see, the truth will out. I I enjoyed... Batman, the you know I would I my, I my goal is I really want to watch Batman Beyond, and so we did start with Batman. We went to the other Batman with the younger Tim Robin kid, and Robin with the mullet. Nightwing. And yeah. Yeah, what's with the mullet? Seriously, it was it was the thing, a, thing it at the time. The time. Okay, no. Do you not remember mullets in the nineties? <clears throat> What part of the '90s did that come out in? Mid, mid to late '90s. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I mean the that mullet show, thing that happened show was like earlier. By the time I got into high school, in the mid '90s, they 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 weren't. Yeah, no, 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 not as much. I'll go grab my yearbook. Uh, Death Angel Shadow, isn't Dune releasing this weekend? No, Dune got moved to March 1st. It is the March 1st weekend, so, so three weeks three weeks away. <sighs> it got pushed. I still don't know if I'm excited anymore. Okay, the the stuff with the Dune thing, let me let me uh, let me give you the skinny on what I have heard and what I've seen in various different places cuz this has been talked about People are making a big deal that the trades are reporting. Oh, re-releasing part one? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't hear if that was coming out. If it is, I don't know. But for part two, the headlines have been: Shani is going to be the main character, the POV character, and all of that stuff. And 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 it appears to be a reframing, if you will, a misrepresentation of what Denny Villeneuve actually said. Uh, it's still Paul Atreides' story. Shani figures more heavily in part two because, you He's know, locked she's got in stuff. His head. I mean, she's got stuff in the book. So, you know, it she doesn't become the main character, the the, the point of view character. The, it, she doesn't become the... She may be the POV character, but it's still... Paul's story is still Paul as Muad'Dib leading the rebellion on 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 Arrakis. So head. I I think I think everything I think will be okay. I'm sure we'll be okay. I I'm not worried. I think they've got a fantastic group of people that are going to be playing the different parts. And again, like I said, after I finished reading the book and getting farther, you know, through the series. It's it's mental. And don't get me wrong, I I don't like the way I mean, in today's society, with the way the culture is, you know, 
what they say, you're just like, oh, great, we're back to this again. Yeah. But at the same time, it is understandable because he's locked in his head half the time, more than half the time. Everything is in his head. And, you know, how are you supposed to sit there, you know, interpretation dance? I don't know. But, you know, I mean, they, for what little in the first half of the book, it was fine and they did a fine representation. But then you have that for the, a lot of the second half of the book ain't going to work. And so don't get me wrong. I, I get it. And I get the focus they need to have on Jessica just because in reality, when it comes down to it, that's where the books are going. Yeah. But it's just, and don't get me wrong, women are extremely, that's where the books are going. Spoiler for a series that came out like when. But it's just still today's, today's <sighs> culture and people suck yeah all right so dune <clears throat> well this is this is dated january 24th uh let's see here i'm gonna show you here dune 2021 imax reissue this came out this is uh this got re-released to imax uh at the end of last month january 24th i don't know if it's still out there it looks like it probably still is. If it's still listed here, you probably can still get tickets to it. But that looks like it's already out. So uh, so there is that. <clears throat> okay. A couple of other real quick things here. Because uh, we're getting ready here for Michael Litvak to join us. There is a new article. Because right after the lawsuit stuff dropped, the sports stuff dropped... And now we've got this this morning. Disney set to release earnings as activist investors circle. Uh, Disney will unveil fiscal first quarter financials after market close Wednesday. But this isn't any earnings report. It's one that comes with two separate activist shareholders lobbying aggressively to push new directors onto the company's board because the stock has lagged. And they say Disney hasn't made any big moves to create value. One potential game changer came late yesterday with Disney, Warner Brothers, and Fox announcing the launch of a new sports streaming joint venture. <laughs> Let me say that again. Launching of a new sports streaming joint venture, pooling the sports rights of three big media companies. That will generate a lot of conversation on Disney's earnings call, but is it enough for Nelson Peltz to back off? No, it's not. He retreated from a proxy fight a year ago, but Disney stock was higher then. Now, let me point out, when Nelson Peltz backed away from that proxy fight a year ago, he did it because Bob Iger made certain promises and announced certain strategies and, and things what were to be done. And more importantly, committed to a dividend payout. Which I still don't know. I have to check. I, I don't know that there was ever a dividend payout in 2023 like he said he wanted to do. That was, okay, Pelt says, okay, you're saying the right things. You've announced a strategy that, that we can get behind, but we'll be watching. And a year later, 
They haven't delivered. Disney has not delivered on their promise. Disney continues to fail at the box office and lose money. And so this thing pops up again. It's interesting here that this article does not mention uh, the, the lawsuit. And you can bet that this earnings call today, the lawsuit at the very least is going to be in the background. It's going to be sitting there a big 300-ton elephant in the room. And I would be surprised if they let anybody ask about it during the Q&A. You can bet that Q&A is all going to be about the sports stuff. Screened. Very screened. Oh, very. Very. They will vet everybody forwards, backwards, up, up and down, six ways from Sunday, sideways and, and backwards. And they probably, because sometimes on these earnings calls, the Q&As are generally finance people, you know, investor houses, uh, uh, f- uh, Wall Street types, bankers, or the the financial reporters, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Business Insider, that kind of thing. And occasionally they'll, they'll let some shareholders ask questions too. I have no doubt in my mind that shareholders won't be allowed anywhere near this call this time. And the ones that do get through to ask these questions, they will be very specific people who will ask very specific Plants. questions— well, plants, ringers. Uh, I won't. I won't go so far as to say shills, but they are. Uh, they are going to be people uh, who are decidedly on the side of the mouse. That's definitely going to happen. Uh, so that's that's what's going to happen tomorrow or, or, or this afternoon, actually. <coughs> And I think that's probably they might have been planning to announce the big sports thing anyway, but the fact that they announced it yesterday after the news of Gina Carano's uh, lawsuit has me wondering if they announced it to get the get the media coverage off the lawsuit and let's talk about this because now we have this thing for which the business people to ask us about during the earnings call. And we can keep the focus on this and not anything else. So I don't know. It, it's going to be, it is going to be an interesting call. Should we snipe it? Your call. I don't know. I don't know that we'll snipe it because nobody's going to be watching us. They're all going to be watching Valiant They're going to be all out celebrating what this is here that I was just reading on um, a, a, a casting announcement. Mike Tyson is going to play himself in Bunny Man. <laughs> okay. An offbeat superhero movie that is being shot in Italy. It's um based What? <clears throat> it involves a multimillionaire superhero who strikes against evil forces in anonymity wearing a rabbit mask according to the provided synopsis where did you find that he is driven by the desire to avenge his sister who committed suicide after suffering a violent act images of which wound wound up on the internet all right mike tyson is going to play a superhero 
<coughs> Bunny Man. He, he, he says... Where where are you reading this? I haven't seen Variety. This. Really? Because it hadn't come across my feed at all. Interesting. Send, yes. send that to me, please. I, I, w- I will do <coughs> this. Um, but, yes, he's going to play himself. And uh, let me see what else. What else have they said? Well, a Death Angel Shadow is asking, is that even legal? Certainly unethical. You're talking about uh, selectively uh, selectively doing... Um, what just happened here? Selectively doing... Um, Calls. Uh, I I don't know about the legality of it. I guess they could probably, yeah. I mean, they could screen whoever they want. Do you ever watch the to, White uh, House briefings? Well, it's the same. Yeah, I guess it's the same kind of thing. Um, where you'd have, you know, uh, you get to pick who asks the questions. I was um, also wa- watching a video on Twitter <coughs> or Twixer, Twixer today. Twixer. Yeah. Um, for an interview on some of the stuff that's going on in the world with people and things that are happening in November and how one of the non-sitting people who are running for said position who also has their questions screened out and uh-huh. specifically chosen for her to answer. Okay. I you're okay. I'm just not bringing in names. Well, uh Road Vagabond Life says does Bunny Man bite ears off for revenge? All I know is the picture that they're showing on this article and I'm sending it to Mr. Boss right now. It looks like it's like the the Batman cartoon that we just finished watching with the younger Robin and the mullet and That's and, not uh, Robin. That's Nightwing. Death Nightwing. That's Nightwing. Yeah, whatever. Nightwing has the mullet. And having um Catwoman looking like she got her outfit off wish. Where are you sending this to me? So uh, okay, I don't see it. That's because I haven't got it. Oh. Helps if I use the correct whatchamacallit. Well, you do that, and we'll circle back to it at the end of uh, after 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 we talk to Michael, because Michael Litvak is here, standing by in the green room. So here's what we're going to do: we're going to go ahead and take a break, and when we get back, we are going to talk about a new movie uh, that's coming out this weekend. Let me do this and this and that and that and that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. No corporate overlords. No political agendas. No kidding. Sci-Fi For Me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. Conventions and fandom. Previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi For Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. 
Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here taking a moment to say thank you for listening to this program on the podcast player of your choice and to invite you to watch the show as it unfolds live on our various video platforms. Not only will you get to see the visual references we have, but you also have a chance to interact with us through the chat widget and during the open line hour when you can call in and be part of the show. Join us live from the bunker Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern U.S. only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. You're listening to the Sci-Fi for Me Radio Network. All right, back live from the bunker. And it would not be the bunker without some stone martin weasels in attendance all right let's try this here all right let's see if he can hear us i still can't hear still cannot uh, hear you okay that's it's so weird i just reinstalled chrome it should be So we've got some technical issues here. Michael Lidbeck is here, but he can't hear us. I can hear us. I can hear him, but he can't hear us. I'm, we're doing some troubleshooting here, folks. All right, we've got a debug, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and uh, I have to again. Uh, I guess I guess this is my this is my day. This is my day because it was on my end, not on Michael's. Uh, he joins us now, Michael Ludwig, the director of Molly and Max in the future. Welcome, sir. Sorry, sorry about all of that. I, I'm sitting there going, <laughs> it I happens can't hear to you. us all. <laughs> uh, normally, I check that in the in the beginning of everything. So here we are. Uh, welcome to the program. I, I got to watch the show, uh, the movie last night. It uh, It's coming out in theaters on the 9th. And I guess, what, limited release? Correct, yes. And then on demand, March 22nd. And I'm seeing uh, a lot of descriptions on this being when Harry met Sally in space. When Harry met Sally with a Blade Runner prestige. With uh, and I, I think... Probably you could even say that it's got a Shark Boy and Lava Girl type of, of aesthetic to it in some ways. So what can you tell our our viewers and listeners about what this what this project is? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that is the way that we describe it. It's that it's when Harry met Sally in space or we kind of, you know, the other way we talk about it is when Harry met Sally meets Rick and Morty or when Harry met Sally meets Futurama because it is essentially the story of two people that meet each other over the course of 12 years over and over again and um, keep keep finding themselves reconnecting with one another. Um, but it's kind of set inside this everything but the kitchen sink universe where anything is kind of possible. And uh, we use these science fiction metaphors and allegories to kind of explore these very relatable human problems. Now, where did the idea for this uh, first originate? Was this something that you came up with or they brought it to you? How did, how did that happen? 
Um, I I came up with it and I wrote the script as well as directed it. Um, and you know, I had another movie that I was trying to get made for you know six or seven years, and um, you know, movies take a long time, but I was really struggling to get it uh, financed. And then it looked like we had all of these kind of puzzle pieces came together, and it looked like it was going to happen. And then the pandemic hit, and everything kind of fell apart. And um, you know, I had been working so long and so hard trying to do this thing. And then because of something that was completely outside of my control, you know, my career was just completely, you know, came to a, came to a stop. And, and, you know, that's kind of what happens in life where you have a plan and, and the way that you think things are going to go and then life gets in the way. And, uh, sometimes that stuff is just completely outside of, you know, what, what you have control over. So, uh, in the middle of the kind of pandemic, I started just rewatching movies because there was nothing else to do. And I love movies. And so I went through all the Pixar films and then eventually started going through rom-coms. I kind of, I love a good theme and, um, you know, eventually came upon when Harry met Sally and, you know, I, I love that film. It's, I think a perfect romantic comedy. Um, but it was interesting to watch it in the middle of a global pandemic because, you know, it doesn't, you have no idea kind of what's going on in the world outside of them and you you know it takes place in new york city but you have no idea who the president is you have no idea like what what the current events are you also have no idea kind of like what they do for a living and as someone whose like career is a big part of of, of my identity um, you know they there's like a passing mention to the fact that he's like a political analyst or something but it's really just focused on them and so i kind of saw this opportunity where i was like this movie's amazing but it it feels like there, you could do a version of this film that kind of is updated for today that kind of takes this structure of this movie, but then changes uh, so many things uh, about it to kind of, and, and then on top of that, you know, like I just love cl classic science fiction. I grew up watching Jurassic Park and Star Wars and Indiana Jones and, and action adventures. And to me, you know, I, I love the way that science fiction can, um, you know, it, it's a, it can be a very expressive form of storytelling where um, you can take these experiences that you feel and then you can use these metaphors to kind of explore them. And so I wanted to kind of create a world that was representative of how kind of overwhelming it can feel to be alive today where you, you're walking down the street and then, you know, your life can be completely upended um, if, you know, you just get unlucky. And it, it feels like in today's day and age, I think people feel very overwhelmed by the state of the world outside. Um, by also the the internet and the fact that we have to interact with the internet constantly, um, you know, and I also think kind of like gender roles and, and male female relationships have evolved since the 90s, um, as they should. So it's like, you know, the question of like, can men and women really be friends? Like, isn't that interesting? I think anymore at the time, it kind of was, but, you know, most of my friends are female. So it's like, I, that was something that I was like, oh, well, what are, what are some of those interesting questions that we can ask today and how can we kind of update this story and, you know, this format of, you know, meeting people and reconnecting and then realizing that you've changed and who that person used to be versus who they are now. And, um, you know, just take, take that kind of very character driven thing and place it in a world that we've never seen before. Well, and and I gotta say, Michael, I'm gonna take I, I gotta take a little bit of issue with you with you describing Jurassic Park as as classic science fiction. I'm starting to I'm starting to feel my age on that one, sir. I you know I hear I hear classic science fiction. I'm thinking you know, uh, uh, 2001, Buck Rogers, Rocky Jones, Space Ranger, all that that set. 
And here you yeah. are, yeah, Jurassic Park and Star Wars. Like, no, no, that hurts. Well, I was I was two years old when <laughs> Jurassic Park came out, so yeah, for me it's 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 old school, but I I get it, and I also do love older older than that as well. <laughs> well, it's a running gag around here because uh, my wife is is ten years younger than I am, and she likes uh, very much to point out that the first movie that she went to the theater to see was Star Trek the Motion Picture when she was six months old. And I, and it hurts every single time she reminds me of wow. that. But, uh, but so when when you're crafting this, and you're, you're talking about all of these different things as far as the environmental stuff and the, and the circumstance and real-world applications and whatnot, there has to be uh, a balance between social commentary, some message you want to have, something in the subtext, and telling a good story that kind of entertains. Did you, did you, in the process of this, did you find yourself having to work to find that balance? Yeah, or was there a couple of times where maybe you're like, oh, maybe this is a little bit too heavy, uh, too heavy-handed, too in, in, in your face. I got to dial it back. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, to be honest, like, I, I don't think that, it's been surprising and interesting to see kind of the response to the social commentary aspect of the film, because in my opinion, it is kind of a background character and it is something that kind of colors the world around them and, you know, contributes to the general kind of uh, vibe of the film, but it's been kind of polarizing and some people really, really respond to it. And, you know, as a filmmaker, you get, you get responses, you get to see people's responses in reviews that critics write. And then you also like can go on Letterboxd and see the way that people react to your film there. And then you also, when you, if you screen at film festivals, you get people that come up to you and tell you this was my favorite part. And, uh, you know, we have kind of a, a Trumpian character in the film and he's not doing a Trump impression, but it is kind of this, this, it, he's supposed to be a stand in for all politicians, not specifically Trump. Um, but I think a lot of people just assume that it's Trump. But we, we, you know, we screened the movie around the world and people in Brazil thought that it was about Bolsonaro. People about uh, people in England thought it was about uh, Boris Johnson. And so, you know, to me, it, it, it was never just about Trump. It's about the idea that you can be stressed out about politics and that it can influence your everyday life. Um, and. Uh, you know, so it's been interesting to see some people have really, really responded to that and been like, that's my favorite aspect of the movie. I really love that character. I really love that that was a part of this world. And other people are are unhappy that I kind of pierced the bubble of fantasy and, and made it feel a little bit more relevant. Um, and, you know, I was never kind of trying to make it topical because I feel like if you try to just do something that's of the moment, you know, movies take such a long time that uh, it will become become out of fashion immediately but yeah. um you know to me it was it was so much of setting this story in the future is about what are the things that kind of stay the same in society there's always going to be a politician that uh is taking advantage of people um there have been plagues over and over again throughout hundreds and hundreds of years whether it's the black death or the 1919 pandemic or the 2020 pandemic um so you know to me those things aren't necessarily topical at the moment uh, and they're kind of cyclical. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it, I think everything is kind of a balancing act and, you know, there, there is that game show aspect of the film where this character is this political stand in. And, uh, you know, we shot so much footage with those comedians because they're so funny and I loved improvising with them and I had them answer a series of questions. And if we wanted to, we could have had 15 minutes of just them, 
messing around on camera and it would have been it would have been like a lot of great jokes but it doesn't really move the story forward and so for me it was like get some good jokes in there but really it's kind of about coloring out the world kind of building out the world that these characters live in uh so that we can kind of talk about some you know the way that you know really what's important in the film is that you, you know there are these things in your life that you don't have control over like who's running for office or who's in office or uh but what you can control is kind of your relationships with the people that you care about. And they are also the ones that kind of help you get through some of the stress of everyday life. Well, and the other, the other aspect of that too, is you know making sure that whatever story you're telling is not instantly dated. I, you know, cause we, I just saw another, another film this week called monolith, which is about a woman who hosts a podcast mm-hmm. and it's, it's relevant now. I mean, the, the podcast is a ubiquitous thing. It's been around for a long while. It's not going to go away anytime soon. But if that same uh, if that same movie had been made about, say, a radio DJ, a you know, talk show host, instead of a podcaster, then we would be looking at a, at a film that was set in the 90s. <coughs> because yeah. the technology evolves. And, you know, 30 years from now, it could be a virtual reality show instead of a podcast. And... You're right. A lot of the stuff that's in your film is cyclical. The, you know, the plague and the and the politics and you know the the election cycle being kind of a kind of a show circus type of thing. But also the the social media side of it. Those those things that are in there, uh, and and the the way that the social media audience is so tenuous and you know not not very not very solid in their opinions they just kind of go with the flow or whatever Mm -hmm. i i that struck me more than the than the political debate stuff you know who's going to take over and rule the galaxy i saw the social media commentary i thought oh that's i that's now you know everybody has an opinion whether it's informed or not and they're going to let you know that they that you know this is what I think, whether you want to hear it or not, here it is. So hundred percent. Yeah, no, definitely. And that was something where, you know, even just, we want to update dating for now. And in the nineties, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, there was, there weren't dating apps, like dating online is a very specifically thing. And I met my wife, like, right as it was kind of becoming socially acceptable to go on dating apps. And so we actually missed it. I've never done online dating, but you know, part of what I did for this movie was that it's almost exclusively the way that people meet now. It's, it's almost an exception to the norm. If you meet someone not on a dating app when you're in your twenties or twenties. So it's like, you know, I, I did a lot of research, talked to a lot of friends uh, who have got, who have used them and tried to figure out like, what is, what is the same about dating? Uh, And, you know, how has that technology also influenced dating um, and, and, and changed the way that we kind of try to find a partner. Well, and, and nowadays even, uh, getting AI involved, there are there are people who are developing bots in order to interact with the various different online personalities on these dating sites in order to determine whether it's a bot or a real person. And so it's like, <laughs> you know, at some point you're going to have the bots talking to the bots, and I guess the bots are going to go 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 form a collective <laughs> somewhere or something, and then we've got Skynet. It, everything goes back to Skynet. Michael. It's true. It's true. It's true. 
So in in your research, you're doing all this world building. I mean, it's it's a pretty fantastical setting. Yeah. When you're doing your world building, how much of it did you need to do, want to do? How, how much did you feel like you had to do before you guys started with, you know, the story, the script, and then going to production? Because there's a lot of green screen in this. All of it, all of it's pretty much digitally rendered. Um, I do like the stop motion. I, I love that. It's a it's a nice nod to the days of Phil Tippett and Ray Harryhausen. Uh, so yeah, Definitely. you got kind of a a lot of kitchen sink stuff in here. But how how much prep did you need to do before you had a a lock on the script? Yeah, you know, it, I had a we had about eighteen months of kind of extended soft prep is kind of what we call it, where you know I'm not working on it seven days a week during that time, but I will be working on it two to three days of the week. And so, you know, I came up with the concept for the film and I came up with it with the structure and the outline and I wrote a first draft, but then, uh, you know, it was kind of an iterative process. And part of what I, you know, this was a very low budget film. Me and the director of photography did about 90% of the visual effects ourselves from start to finish. Neither of us are professional VFX artists, but I think they turned out pretty well. But part of that was also trying to lean into like a practical first approach where everything is handmade, everything is hand built. Uh, we try, there's almost no CG in the film uh, in terms of 3D models. And, you know, there's a tiny bit, but it's almost all hand, hand built. And so part of what we did was that, you know, I would write something into the script and then I'd figure out, you know, how do we actually pull this off? And so this was, you know, one of our model, our miniature buildings, you can tell it's kind of falling apart right now, but it's like, we bought this miniature building. We, we printed out a bunch of satellite dishes and, and little details, which is, which are called Greeble and uh, you know, glued them on, painted it, you know, put some Christmas lights in the back, uh, did this all kind of in my living room. And then, uh, would fill, you know, take plates of it. So shoot still images of it and then combine those. And then we could create a cityscape filled with hundreds and hundreds of buildings because we would copy paste the different buildings at different angles and so kind of combine them together. And so the same thing with kind of the, you know, this is Molly's spaceship from the film where, you know, this is, this is a little a toy smart car that we then added, a. a, a you know, something from one kit onto some engines uh, from another kit, you know, a bunch of greeble and detail. And then, you know, you can, you can see there's a, there's a little human in there yeah. uh, too, that, so you could see it from the side. And so, you know, everything was kind of handmade and part of the writing process is saying, you know, I think I could build a miniature city. Let me go do some research uh, you know, I'm going to set this scene on a rooftop and that there and it's going to be two people talking to each other. But in the background behind them, we're going to see this sci fi Blade Runner esque city. And so before I, you know, fall in love with that setting or that location, I'll go and do a bunch of research online. I'll go look up, you know, build your own sci fi city at home and uh, see how a bunch of other people did it and then kind of learn from those people, figure out kind of what are the tricks that they they were willing to share and then uh, go and try and do it myself. And so uh, with a lot of help from Zach, my DP, who was also kind of the, the VFX supervisor on the film. Um, so it was kind of this iterative process. And there were sometimes, you know, things that I came up with that it was like, oh, that's actually not possible or um, you know, in the process of trying to see if something was possible, I'd stumble upon something else and I'd realize, oh, this is actually way cooler and we can buy 
a miniature staircase online for $10. And then, you know, we can build a, build a landscape kind of out of that. And so it was really kind of this cyclical, like iterative process where we were responding to kind of what was possible within our budget and within our means. It reminds me of those conversations that, that people uh, have had with regard to the first Star Wars movie because George Lucas had these ambitions. He's had these things that he wanted to do. And we've, we've learned since in all of the different documentaries and behind the scenes and all these different interviews and everything that Gary Kurtz was there as the producer basically saying, you don't have the budget to do that. You've got to figure out another way to do it. And, and I have said a number of times, for every George Lucas, you need a Gary Kurtz. You need somebody there to say, we have limited resources, figure it out. And it sounds like you, you guys were kind of doing that sort of thing as well. It's like, okay, well, we've only got $10 to spend. What can we get? Exactly. And, and looking at the in, – in the end credits, you have some behind-the-scenes uh, stuff of the creative process here. And I was impressed seeing the miniature models because when you go through and, you're, and you just watch the film – a lot of it feels like it's just, you know, it's all VFX stuff that's put in and After Effects afterwards. And I didn't realize just watching it how much of that was were, were physical models that you that you layered in in the opticals. So seeing those in the end credits, I, oh, okay, that 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 works even better because, you know, you're making the assumption that this is all generated in the computer and you're not. You're doing stuff old school. Yeah, it's it's all very old school. I mean, you know, like I said, there's almost no CG in the film. Uh, everything is kind of handmade. Everything is miniatures. You know, we also shot about 30% of the movie was shot on green screen, but 65 to 70% of the film was shot practically, which was, you know, we had a giant LED screen, which is just a, a big, a huge TV, and the actors would stand in front of it. And so part of those 18 months is that we would shoot these mo models and these miniatures and then we would make a uh you know a video clip and then we would put that video clip up on the screen behind the actors and, and so uh it was you know that the whole first week of shooting was just on the led stage and you know it's kind of a lower budget version of what they do on the mandalorian right the volume. Um, you know or if you ever seen rear screen projection, which is like a classic science fiction thing or any or an old movie thing where two people are driving in a car and you can yep. see the road behind them. And so it was very similar to that where, um, you know, and then the last three weeks of shooting, it was a combination of green screen and rear screen projection. And so a lot of the locations in the film, it's, you know, you can look into the camera and it, and it isn't a green screen behind them. You can see what they're looking at and the actors can turn around and they can look at it too. Um, and, you know, I, I always prefer it to be that way. Um, you know, sometimes you have to use green screen for, for specific reasons, but, um, you know, it takes a lot of time to then take the green screen out and replace it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, always preferable to kind of do things in camera. Yeah. So how did your actors respond to the green screen environment? I mean, like you said, an led screen, some kind of a panel there, it gives them something to look at, to interact with, to respond to I'm, I'm i'm bouncing off of this thing whereas with green screen i have to make it up in my head i i don't know what i'm looking at where's my eye line what am i what am i doing here what am i touching where's my hand supposed to be how did your actors adapt into that 
environment. Did, did any of them have any real trouble with it, or did everybody just kind of drop in and let's go? Honestly, everybody, nobody had any trouble with it. It was, it, they were all pros. I mean, everybody that is acting in the film has been acting for five or 10, you know, or 15 years and, and they all kind of know what they're doing. I mean, the, the funny thing is when you think about it, when an actor is facing towards the camera, on, whether it's a real set or a fake set or a green screen, their view is of the camera and the crew and the, all the people standing behind the camera. Whereas, you know, I mean, I think it is helpful to be able to then look over your shoulder and see what where you're supposed to be. But at the end of the day, like whether what is behind them is not what they're looking at while they're acting. So they're kind of used to seeing a, you know, a camera guy hunched over a camera, you know, <laughs> right. squinting his or her eye into it. And, um, you know, I think that's just part part of the job. But at the end of the day, like, I'm sure it is a little bit easier to do it when you have something physical to interact with. And, and, you know, we tried to give them, you know, at least stuff that was immediately around them so that they could have some kind of semblance of where they are. And then if we didn't, a lot of the times I would have a rendering of, you know, this is what it's going to look like when it's done. And, you know, it wouldn't be the super finished polished version, but it would at least give them an idea of where they are so that, um, they n at least have kind of that sense of where um, where they're standing no. uh, if it is in front of a green screen. Now, how did you find your leads? So I had been familiar with Dasha Mamet because she was on uh, an HBO show called Girls and she was on an HBO Max show called The Flight Attendant. And, you know, she's been doing amazing work for for 10 years and, and probably longer. And um, so I had been a fan of hers for a very long time. Um, uh, Aristotle was on Saturday Night Live, um, and I heard about him through that, and our casting director kind of pointed him out to me and was like, you should pay attention to this guy, he's really cool. Um, and, you know, I met up with both of them, and, and they both just kind of understood the script, they understood the story, you know, not everybody understands kind of sci-fi when you when you show it to them it's not everybody's cup of tea and so it was really important to me that i found people that just got it that understood what we what we were trying to do and that um you know at the same time it was important to me that they they kind of give nuanced performances and there's all of these kind of very over the top elements of the movie but they're kind of counteracted by treating a lot of these situations as if they're real life situations and that kind of tonal balance is is really important to me so finding people with comedy a comedy background uh, is something that I always love because I think being funny is something that you can't really teach I think it's right. something you can develop but you know both Ari ha Ari has a background as a stand-up comedian uh, and as you know working in sketch comedy and then on on SNL uh, and Zasha has worked in some amazing comedic and dramatic shows. And so they both kind of have all those tools in their tool belts. Um, and, you know, they both are just also really nice people. And that's something that's really important when you're working on a low budget film is that it's not going to be as glamorous as, as a big show and it's not going to be as comfortable. And you need people that want to be there, that want to have a good time, that believe in the movie and, um, you know, believe in you. Now, if I remember correctly, the, the credits have them. Are they both listed as executive producers as well? Correct, yeah. Okay. How, how much involvement did they have on the production side of it outside of their, their roles as the lead actors? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they, you know, we did rehearsals together and um so they they gave their input on the script and the story and the characters and I collaborated with them, you know, on on that level and then they're also involved in the promotion of the film and getting the word out there and showing up to Q&As and so, you know, there are actors that kind of show up and do a day of work and you never kind of, you know, talk to them again and mm -hmm. that's totally fine, but you know, they, they were there from the beginning of the process to the end of the process to now and, um, you know, have been supporters of, of helping the movie find an audience. And um, so there, I think there's a lot of different kind of ways to earn an executive producer credit, and they really have uh, earned that credit. What kind of response has this gotten at film festivals? You've made the circuit. Which, which festivals have you hit with this? So we premiered at South by Southwest in Austin in March. And then uh, after that, we went down to Fantaspoa in Brazil, where we won Best Feature um, and saw it with a foreign audience for the first time, which was really exciting. Uh, we played at the Lower East Side Film Festival in New York City, which is my favorite film festival in New York, um, and where we also won Best of Fest. Uh, after that, we played at Fantasia in Montreal, which has an amazing selection of genre films. Uh, it's one of the biggest genre festivals in the world. Uh, and then after that, we went to Sitges in Spain. We also went to BFI London um, and, and screened there to a couple of sold out crowds. So it's really been kind of a dream come true to take the movie around the world and see people's responses to it and, uh, you know, do Q and A's and hear people's feedback and, and uh, you know, generally people have really, really enjoyed it and really had a great time watching it. And, you know, you, you set out to create something and you hope that people will understand it. And um, it's been really, really rewarding to kind of see those um, responses both in person and then, you know, on letterboxd and, and uh, you know, people really kind of taking time out of their day to go to write about how much they liked it. With foreign audiences and comedy from the United States, those two don't always seem to mesh. Uh, did, did you run into in any place where the audience kind of looked at it and just didn't quite get it? Or did the humor translate fairly well across the board? You know, I mean, I didn't go to every single festival that it screened at. So there were definitely festivals like in in Germany and and France that I couldn't uh, get, you know, get all the way over there um, because they're also often spread out um, right. over different, you know, time periods. So uh, but I was honestly shocked that it did so well, like and, and it won Fantasboa, which, you know, had an all non-English uh, English was not the first language, I think, of anybody on that jury. And, you know, when when I go to a festival, I kind of am just excited to be there. I don't go into it being like, I want to win the award. I don't think anyone should ever do that. I'm just right. like, enjoy your time there. Don't expect to win anything and uh, see the way that people react. And it was crazy because, you know, Fantaspo is in this small, uh, a smaller city in Brazil it, it, called Porto Alegre. And it's, the I think, the 13th biggest city in Brazil. It's not really like a tourist spot. Uh, and so everybody that was at the screening uh, was a local and mm. um, it also is a is a, a, a city that doesn't ha not everyone there speaks English and so half the audience would read the subtitle and laugh at the joke before <laughs> the other half would hear the character say it and then <laughs> laugh at the joke and so it was this really funny like kind of like delayed laughter and 
it killed. I was just like, you know, because that's what kind of people say. They're like, oh, well, you don't know, especially it's like such a dialogue driven film. Yeah. You don't know if some of that stuff is going to translate. And, you know, like there's a couple jokes about living in New York City because all the great rom-coms are set in New York City. And so it's like those jokes didn't get as much of a laugh when we played them somewhere else. And, you know, when when we played in New York City, like those jokes killed. And so it's like, you know, it, it was you know, I, I think there's something in there for everybody. And I think a lot of the comedy is still visual and you kind of understand the situations and, um, you know, it, I've been really surprised and, and pleasantly, you know, um, you know, really just happy that, uh, people have seemed to embrace it everywhere that we've taken it. One of the jokes that, that landed for me, uh, that I think is probably going to be a very niche thing is, is commenting on, the change in the aspect ratio <laughs> yeah. when it happened because I didn't notice it until Max pointed it out. And then I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. I see it now because you, you, you get involved in the story you're paying your and you don't pay attention. And suddenly, you know, I've got black waterfalls on either side. It's, it's, it's back to four, three and Oh, okay. Which was you, you an know, interesting funny. visual choice, but yeah, you know, it's funny because that is, you know, sometimes you put a joke in a movie because you're like, I think this is funny, and if no one else gets it, it'll take two seconds, and they'll forget it, and we'll yeah. move on. And you can't have too many of those because, uh, you know, you don't want it to be too self-indulgent, and you don't, you know, if if people, you know, you can only get away with so many jokes that don't land. But sometimes you just are like, I think this is funny. I'm gonna gonna put it in there, and. <laughs> You know, if people don't like it, then like they'll get over it. And surprisingly, that joke has done extremely well everywhere. <laughs> like, and I was really not expecting it. It's like what been one of the most consistent laughs that we've gotten because I would just assume that people don't necessarily like know what an aspect ratio is. But I think now in today's day and age where everybody posts stuff on Instagram, people do know what like 16 by 9 and 9 by 16 and, and kind of like what an aspect ratio is. And I was really shocked that that joke has gotten kind of like a universally, you know, a positive response. Yeah. So when you're sitting with an audience and you're watching this and you're listening to the response, whether it's this film or any of the other projects that you've done, what goes through your head as you're experiencing this because you know what's coming you've made this movie you've sat this is your baby you've been you've been working on this for however long you you're on and then it's playing on the screen you've got an audience sitting there experiencing it for the first time what's going through your head as you're observing their reactions to it all i mean i'm i'm trying to listen for laughs and uh you know that's the most interesting part too is to see you know at different screenings what do people laugh at you know and what certain screenings get a much bigger laugh for certain jokes than other ones and uh you know universally the potty humor has gotten the biggest laughs across all cultures sure um which is to be expected i guess but uh you know it, it so i'm i'm listening for that you know i think when i first screened it you know, there were there are certain jokes that I think are the funniest jokes in the film and they get like a small chuckle. And then there are certain jokes where I was like, eh, that one's fine. And then they get a huge laugh. And so everyone's sense of humor is kind of different. Um, it's interesting to kind of see the way that 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 changes from screening to screening and audience to audience. And, um, you know, I, I it's been a minute since I've sat in on a screening just because I'm sick of watching the movie because I've seen it 150 <laughs> times. Uh, but 
that I think it, it was one of the most fun parts of it. And, you know, at South by Southwest, I mean, when the very first time we screened it, I was mostly just terrified that something was going to go wrong technically. And because we did all of the VFX and, and did all of the kind of quality control at the very end, I was afraid that there was going to be like some sort of render error. So the whole time I was just in my chair being like, please don't have anything go wrong. Please don't have anything go wrong. And finally, you know, we got through it and nothing went wrong. And so I could finally relax. And so we had two more screenings after that. And at the second screening, it'll be something I like remember forever because I sat in the back row and I, you know, didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable and, and be too obvious that I was watching them. But I, instead of watching the movie, I kind of watched the audience and there was a guy in the row in front of me and you could just tell that he was, he was just on the edge of his seat looking and he was just smiling the entire film. And I was just like, it was the best feeling ever. I mean, that's why you make movies is to kind of see people's reactions and, and share, share it with other people. And, um, you know, I think that is also something that I try to remind myself too, is that it's not necessarily about just the laughter. It's also about, you know, people, there can be jokes that aren't laugh at loud funny, but, uh, you know, maybe hit you in a different way. And maybe whether it's a smile or kind of just a, like, oh God, that really speaks to me, uh, and, and hits, a, you know, kind of in a deeper sense. So, um, you know, that's kind of what's going through my head when I'm watching uh, other audiences. You mentioned uh, people paying attention like that and, and getting just really involved and engrossed in it. I think part of that, at least for this one, is the musical choices you've got. Because it you're, you're running not your what you would normally expect in a film like this, you know, set in the future and there's a lot of a lot of optical effects and and whatnot. You you get almost conditioned <coughs> to expect a more electronic uh or orchestral uh type of score, you know, Blade Runner had Vangelis and you have you have that kind of that kind of mood there you get it, but you you're going with old school, you know, jazz and 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 that sort of thing. What was the choice? What was the the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of my favorite romantic comedies, whether it's Annie Hall or Manhattan or When Harry Met Sally uh, or the Before Trilogy, like jazz is a is a big, big part of them, and so. Um, you know, to me, this movie is really a pure hybrid of romantic comedy and science fiction. And that was something that I really wanted to take over from the romantic comedy genre. Um, and so uh, that was the initial inspiration. And then, you know, part of the reason I kind of never second guessed it was because I'd seen Cowboy Bebop and Cowboy Bebop had jazz in space, too. And, I, and I, that was something that had always really spoken to me. Uh, and I loved that show. Um, and so, you know, I put we, you know, there's something called temp score where you put something in the movie and then you see how it plays. And you, you know, we put a bunch of jazz in there and then we brought it to this composer named Alex Winkler. And he put together a track that was their theme song kind of. And, you know, initially I, you know, our budget was so low that I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to kind of have Alex create an entire album, but he stepped up to the plate and was just like very excited about being part of the project and, and, created 100% original music from start to finish um, that was all kind of connected. And, and, you know, he built a theme around the characters and then, you know, had different versions of the song and he just released the album on Spotify uh, and he did an, an incredible job. I mean, it's his, his, he is so talented and I can't take any credit for his, his talent because he just, 
you know, I, I showed him a temp track and he came back and showed me something 10 times better. And, um, you know, it's such a huge part of the film and, and really kind of helps create this, the, the vibe that we're going for and helps kind of move things along and, and kind of create this very specific tone. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a legend. Is there any plan to put a soundtrack out available for people to purchase? So it's on Spotify right now. I'm not sure. Um, I need to ask Alex if he's going to put out like a vinyl or, um, you know, if people can buy physical copies. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'll, I'll ask him, but um, it is available to stream right now. What's next? Uh, I mean, it, it, in, it has a pretty, pretty definite ending. But you could, you know, catch up with these people in the next 5, 10, 12 years and, and do another one. Are there any plans for a sequel or are you moving on to something else? In the short term, I'm definitely moving on to something else. I mean, I'll never never say never. And, you know, I love the Before trilogy. And, and that's kind of an example of two people that have, you know, met, uh, you know, they've taken different parts of their lives. And so it's not impossible that there would be a sequel to the film, but I don't think I would even kind of think about that for another five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, because I, I have my next project. It's like a science fiction Western and I'm really excited about that. And I really want to get that off the ground. Um, so that's going to be kind of my main focus. And then, you know, part of life is like you, again, you plan for things, but you have no idea what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, sometimes things will pop up and, um, I've been put up for a couple of jobs that could, you know, completely take me in a different direction for a couple of years at least. So, um, you know, if one of those comes through, then I could be going and doing that. But, um, you know, the plan is just to keep on making stuff that I really care about and that feels unique and special and, um, has my voice in it. So this being a romantic comedy, uh, you've got, other stuff uh argyle has got a romantic comedy element to it you have anyone but you with uh uh sydney sweeney and glenn uh what's his name uh, I, powell glenn powell thank you i keep forgetting his name and i don't know why it's there, there's something there's something blocking me there <laughs> do you does it feel like to you, and I don't know how much you've studied the marketplace, but I would imagine some of that is involved in the research and deciding what you want to do next. Does it feel like we've got a little bit more of a trend or a, a beginning of a trend where romantic comedies are going to make their comeback this year? Because it's been it's been kind of scarce the last four or five years with all these superhero movies. And, you know, horror is making a big comeback. There's a lot of horror that's been out for the last, you know, four, five, six years. Romantic comedy is not so much. Are, are we are we starting to see that maybe cycle back a little bit? You know, I short answer is I don't know. I think it's possible and I, I'm I'm hopeful for it. You know, I think um, I feel like Argyle like wasn't really marketed as a romantic comedy. I think anyone but you was, you know, a. I think the thing about Hollywood is that everyone is kind of chasing trends and 
one of the downfalls of that is that, um, you know, it takes so long to get a film made minimum two to five years, you know, sometimes seven to 10. And so if you really focus on what's what's the hottest thing right now, by the time the movie gets made, it's not going to be popular anymore. Right. Um, and so I think it's kind of a fool's errand to, to try to chase a trend. Um, and instead, I think like, you know, there will always be movies that, um, you know, can, can stand out because they are unique. Um, so, you know, I think there, there are rom-coms here and there. Um, you know, I would love a rom-com renaissance, um, but I'm not necessarily holding my breath. I think, you know, anyone but use an interesting thing. I haven't seen the film, but, um, you know, it was kind of a sleeper hit and I think it did really well. And I think it might get some eyeballs on, uh, you know, get some people thinking, oh, we need to be doing more of these because yeah. that did well. And so I think, you know, the, the superhero movie trend is in decline and with stuff like Barbie and Oppenheimer doing so well, I hope that that, um, you know, inspires people to take more chances on original films and, things that are kind of weirder um, and that, that come from, um, you know, a place of wanting to show people something different. Well, and not only from the genre aspect of it with romantic comedies being relatively inexpensive, but, you know, people can look at, all right, this movie was made for 20 million instead of 200 million. We can make 10 of these. And, and I yeah. think that we're finally, uh, finally starting to see, uh, the the industry leaned back toward the smaller budget feature, maybe. I mean, it's it's a little early, uh, but we're starting to see that where we don't have to spend all of this money to make a film. We can do it. You know, I mean, Godzilla minus one. It was made for ten million dollars. That's it's just yeah. that's so wild to me. And you know, your your budget probably was not huge i mean you're doing uh, a not. bunch of stuff with greaser <laughs> you're in one room probably yes. um and you know uh anyone but you 20 million i i think that the bigger lesson is not necessarily the romantic comedy is coming back but the lower budget the smaller budget i won't say low budget the smaller budget pictures might be finally coming back because the only way you can expect to make a profit is if you don't spend that much yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Jason Blum, who is, you know, his whole model is that he makes $5 million movies, and he's able to churn out five or 10 of them a year. And but if one of them is to get out, then you have a billion dollar hit on your hands. Yeah. And that makes up all the money for all the other ones. And get out is like the perfect example of a really interesting horror movie that some people might think is very risky and don't want to take a chance on. But if it's $5 million, then, you know, why not? I think like it, that, that's where you get the most interesting things is, is kind of taking chances on something smaller. Uh, and then, you know, I think at the end of the day, like nobody looks at a movie and looks up the budget before they go and see it. Uh, I mean, maybe a couple people do, but uh, <laughs> the vast majority of people see a movie because their friends told them that it was a good film. And uh, that is a price is priceless word of mouth marketing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that is what uh, separates movies from, uh, you know, movies that are successful from movies that aren't is that uh, they build an audience organically because people saw it and they like it and they tell their friends about it. Um, and you can't you can spend all the money in the world, but you can't force someone to tell their friends about a film. <laughs> right. 
Well, and on that front with the distribution that you're getting, what how did how did Level 33 get involved with with your picture? Um, so they saw it at South by Southwest and um, uh, acquired us for distribution uh, for North American, and then we also partnered with them for international in, uh, distribution. Um, so you know, I, I, our movie was so small that um, you know, so so many movies go to film festivals and they don't get picked up for distribution. Right. And um, you know, we kind of just, I kind of just assumed that we would be going straight to video on demand because uh, that is what happens to most. Uh, festival films um but we sat with them and they had a plan to put it in theaters uh, and do a limited theatrical release and uh they were serious about it and um you know that i think seeing a movie in the theaters is always the best way to do it um and you know it's also great to you know see it on demand as well but um you know that the fact that they were down to go on that adventure with us was was really exciting and um you know i can't believe it's gonna be in theaters in a couple days <laughs> so limited run means what how many cities uh, how many screens are you getting so i think we have about 30 right now but it's possible that it, w it will um expand you know we there are certain places that it's playing um february 16th you know starting a couple days after february 9th so uh or places that are going to be playing it in early march um, so it's kind of shifting around and they also end up sometimes releasing theaters at the last second and, and playing it in those. Uh, but right now we have, I think, six screens in Los Angeles, uh, one in New York City. Um, you know, we're playing in Austin. We're playing in Charlotte. We're playing in Nashville. We're playing in um, uh, Boulder, Colorado in March. Um, you know, it's it's a real kind of potpourri random selection of, yeah. of AMC theaters across the country. Uh, and, and some, uh, you know, additional, you know, we have the Lemley in Los Angeles. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we are posting kind of the information about the theaters, uh, on our social media, which is, uh, at Molly and Max, M-O-L-L-I. Uh, and I'm also kind of posting about the theaters, um, on my Instagram, which is at Michael Litwack, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, uh, L-I-T-W-A-K. And, um, that is, uh, you know, where, where you can kind of stay posted and, and, um, you know, we're also going to be doing a, uh, digital, um, screening, uh, one night only in early March, uh, once our theatrical window ends, um, and that will be accessible to anybody, um, uh, across the world, um, for, for one night only. And I'm going to be doing a live Q and a with that. Now, uh, are you doing any independent, uh, independent theaters or just AMC stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we're playing at the Lemley in Los Angeles. They're an independent theater. Um, we have uh, the Starlight Drive-In in Austin, Texas. Um, they're an independent theater. Uh, we have a we have a list of the theaters up at MollyandMax.com. Um, you know, AMC has their their A list stubs program, which I think makes it a little bit easier for them to program independent films. Ironically. Um, you know, sometimes smaller theater owners need to kind of bet, only bet on the things with, you know, $10 million ad advertising budgets. Um, so, uh, you know, I was a little bit surprised that AMC was was so excited to screen the film um, because they're such a big company, but they actually do support independent films, which is really awesome. There's a there's a theater here in Kansas City, uh, the Screenland Armor. 
that's locally owned, and they they have a they have a tendency to lean toward the the indie stuff and the artistic. We're playing there. Uh, screening. Are you? Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're playing there. Um, what? Let me find the date. Um, yeah, because they've been really big about you know local local programming, indie programming, uh, the art house stuff. Yeah, February sixteenth. Uh, okay, all right. So in in theaters here in Kansas City on the sixteenth. That's I uh, will make a note because um, it's worth it's worth the time. It was a it was a fun watch. I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, just just see because it's different from what you would expect given you know three hundred million dollar budget on on Star Wars or or Thor or whatnot. And then this comes along, and it's a it's a fun. It it knows what it is. Uh, and it's and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is good because if you're trying to do a comedy, and you take yourself so seriously and trying to make sure that these jokes land, sometimes it doesn't quite work. <laughs> so, uh, completely now, agree. Are any plans to go to DVD or Blu-ray or any of that? Because you mentioned all of the all of the extra stuff that y'all shot. I would think that that probably would be you know extras on the DVD. Yeah. Yeah, we have, I mean, we're releasing little behind the scenes clips on our, on Instagram and on our social media, but, um, I'm planning to cut, kind of cut them all together into one long behind the scenes that will probably be on the DVD. Um, and you know, we're figuring out what the other extras would, will be. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, we, we have a mailing list or I have a mailing list at, um, mollymax.com. And so if you want to find out about the release, um, or of the DVD or Blu-ray, you can sign up there. Um, but it will be kind of on those uh, formats. Um, you know, I, I don't have a date yet, but within the next month or two. And you say your next project is a science fiction western. Yes. H- how did you come by that one? Is that was that I've done my romantic comedy now? I got to you know, is this a palate cleanser or this 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 just thing that came next? Um, you know, I just. I kind of stumbled into it. I um, uh, wanted to tell a story about friendship. And then I kind of realized that it took place in this world that was, um, you know, it ended up turning out to be a Western. So it wasn't something that I kind of consciously planned on. Uh, you know, sometimes you you follow an idea and you pull at the thread and then it kind of leads you in a direction you didn't necessarily expect. So, you know, I wanted, you know, I love romantic comedies. I love science fiction. Um, I wanted to do something that wasn't another love story right afterwards. Um, so, I mean, I think every, I think James Cameron has a quote where he's like, every movie is a love story. And I think that is true. Um, but you know, I wanted to do something that isn't necessarily like a romantic, uh, love story, but never say never, you know, if something pops up, you never know. But, um, you know, I want to kind of, you know, expand my horizons and do something a little bit different because I don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. You mentioned being married. What does your wife think about all of this? Because some spouses, some spouses are like, "Eh, you don't want to do what?" Some are just right on board. Let's go. You know, biggest cheerleader. She's she's definitely my biggest cheerleader. She's the editor of the film. She edited the film. She's a professional editor. Um, she actually just won an Emmy, which is very exciting for editing. Nice. Um, and uh, so yeah, she's she gets it, and she's extremely supportive, and I'm very grateful for her letting me build all my uh, miniatures in, in our living room. <laughs> well, it's always nice to have the, have the support, right? Definitely. 
All Definitely. Right. Michael, Lute, uh, Michael Luke Litvak is uh, is the director of Molly and Max in the future. Uh, you say mollyandmax.com is, uh, is the website that goes here where you can see a list of all of the different places where the movie is showing and get tickets. Uh, Michael is also on Twitter and uh, Level 33 Entertainment, the distributor for, for the film. And you can see a teaser, a trailer, over on Vimeo. Level 33 has a YouTube channel as well. Uh, Michael, I, I appreciate you spending the time and, and being uh, <laughs> being patient as we figured out <laughs> which button needed to be needed to be pushed. And, and uh, we'll definitely have you back to talk about the next project when that one's ready to go. And uh, I'll probably write Thank a review you. over the weekend. We'll get this out. But I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was fun. Uh, I do recommend people to go see it. And good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. All right. uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. Now, when we get back, folks, uh, we will have more. We're going to open up the phone lines. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea to do this or not, but we will. So stand by. Live from the bunker. We'll be right back on Sci-Fi for Me Radio. You know, this to me is, I think, is, the, is a highly relevant question here. That's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that. So. Well, that becomes a huge, a, a, a huge question. Oh, that's a good point. Wow. Yeah. You, that's you just you opened a lot there, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I think, Jason, you always do. You you get this stuff better than anyone. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Sci-Fi for Me Radio, where all of us are madmen in a box. All right, here we go, back live from the bunker. And I have pinned the link in the chat. And it doesn't. It looks like somehow I accidentally pinned pieces of the link earlier uh, because, you know, that's how, that's how we do things around here. Just every now and again, we don't quite hit the right button. Uh, thanks to Michael for uh, for his time uh, talking about that. Yes, we are, tomorrow is going to be a really, really, really packed, packed show, uh, as Ed Sullivan used to say, a really big show. We are going to be talking about uh, the Disney earnings call, which is today. We are going to be talking about Gina Carano's lawsuit. We are going to be talking about the offers for Paramount Global. We're going to be talking about all of the stuff. All the stuff. And I'm sure it's going to be a packed three hours. I am not going to cut it short tomorrow. But now we are in the open line portion of the program, which means you who are out there in the luminiferous ether that we know is the Internet, you can join the conversation if you so choose. You don't have to. You don't uh, have any obligation uh, to uh, to get into this uh, this particular uh, place. Oh wait, why did that do that? Let's stick it over here. I'm sorry. What? Hang By the on. way, I sent you an article. You I, might want to look at because it appears it that well, according to the headline, I didn't go all the way through it, but according to the headline, Musk is offering up to help out people who have been scorned by Disney. 
Yes, and it is uh, it is something that came out right after he posted uh, this. Somebody had leaked to him a document from internal Disney talking about their inclusivity uh, criteria, but he posted there on after after the the news dropped about uh, Gina's lawsuit. Uh, he's basically said, "Is there anybody else who wants to get on board with this?" And the last I saw, the reply count was something over uh, almost 3,500 replies to it. And you've got, uh, I think it's been seen by over 2 million people. And there's replies and there's retweets and there's, uh, you know, quote tweets and, and that sort of thing. This is going to gain a lot of traction in the next few days. And I don't think that it's going to go away with a settlement. Honestly, I I think this is the one. And it's been pointed out. They were talking about it over on Midnight's Edge uh, uh, earlier today. And uh, the, the climate seems to have shifted post-Johnny Depp. After that trial, the the idea that some people get justice and some people don't, the idea that some accusations are listened to and some aren't, it it takes on a completely different uh, uh, complexion because you know men are not victims. Well, that narrative shifted. You had a paradigm shift with the Johnny Depp trial. And I think with with Gina's case, she's got a very strong argument to make that, one, she never compared Jews to Republicans. She never, ever, ever said that. And two, you have her co-star, Pedro Pascal, posting egregiously offensive things about Trump supporters, and as far as we know, never suffered any consequences. You have Pablo Hidalgo going after Star Wars theory with insults and and online bullying, and we don't know that he ever uh, suffered any consequences for that. And if you really look at the complaint, and I haven't had a chance to read through it all, it's 59 pages, but if you go through and, and look at what she, at least at what's been reported, she's going after wrongful termination. She's going after sex discrimination. She's, she's not, not even addressing the, the, the slander part of it. Now, the wrongful termination will probably get into that. But the, the slanderous comment that came with that news that she was no longer going to be working at Lucasfilm... I, I don't know that that's a, a primary thing. This is sex discrimination because she was persecuted for saying things and her male co-stars were not. Uh, Cam asks, how is a contracted person terminated? Uh, there's a couple of different things. If you are still under contract, the studio can sit there and say, we're 
terminating the contract, you know, there's usually some kind of an exit clause, whether it's a morals clause or a you know legality. You did you broke the law, we can we can let you go type of thing. So they can terminate a contract early. The other part of the other way they could do it, and it sounds like that's what they did here, was she's not currently under contract. We're going to decide not to renew the contract because, like you see with with a lot of TV shows, your lead cast, your ensemble cast, will get a contract that says you're going to perform as this character for X and so many episodes, for X and so many years, or however many seasons or whatnot. And as you get toward the end, like we saw with the Friends cast, for example, you know, the, they all sat there and said, we're going to renegotiate our contracts and you're going to pay us a million dollars an episode each or we're not going to do the show anymore. So the contract runs for a specific term for a specific amount of money. <clears throat> and as you get close to the end of that, then you negotiate, you know, your reps will negotiate with the studio and hey, you know, this show is turning out to be pretty popular and you guys are probably making more money because the advertising revenue is such and yada da. At least that's how it used to be. And it will be again, right? What's old is new. And we want more of the cut. We want a bigger piece of the pie, as it were. That was one of the things with uh, Patrick Stewart, for example. When we got Best of Both Worlds and, and Picard was captured by the Borg, Patrick Stewart was in the middle of negotiations with Paramount, and there was a question at the time. I remember all of the scuttlebutt at that time, and remember, this is before the internet. There was a question as to whether or not Patrick Stewart was going to come back because he was he was renegotiating his contract, and you have an out because he's been he's been captured by the Borg. He's now Locutus. You could have killed Picard. And put Riker as the new captain of the Enterprise, and the show keeps going. They didn't do that, but they could have. If Stewart had decided, you're not going to pay me enough, I'm going to wrap up this arc, and then I'm done. Could have. You have situations kind of like with Denise Crosby, where she sits there and says, you know, I know I'm under contract for seven years, seven seasons, but... You don't, you're not giving me anything to do. I want out. I want out of my contract. I want to leave. <clears throat> and so they can figure out a way to do that. So there are, there are places in the contract that allow for early termination on, I, for either party. And at the expiry, you know, once the contract is expired, and it sounds like, just from what she's been saying from the different comments that she says, it sounds like there was at least an understanding, if not a gentleman's agreement, some kind of a plan for her to come back as Cara Dune in more Mandalorian, maybe Book of Boba Fett. There was definitely a plan for her with Rangers of the New Republic because that show was built around her character initially. The character was written for her by Jon Favreau. And we haven't had, I haven't seen anything as far as his comments on this yet. I don't know that he's said anything yet or anybody's asked him. But I imagine that he's probably 
he's at the very least got to be paying attention to this. Because part of this lawsuit is, I want my I want my job back. I want to play Cara Dune again, not for the money. I mean, seventy five thousand dollars is a pittance. That I mean, she was getting twenty five thousand for uh, each episode that she was in. That's not a lot. She doesn't need a lot. Her family is money. All right, her family is in Vegas. Their casinos and real estate. Her family is money. That that's not a that's not a thing. So twenty five thousand dollars an episode. So if she's asking for seventy five thousand, maybe the original plan was that she would appear in three episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. Okay, so there's compensation for that. But the fact that she wants her job back as Cara Dune, or at least the option of it, says uh, something has shifted. Because the last we had all been given to understand is that Gina Carano had walked away from Star Wars forever and was never coming back. What changed? What has changed in the background that maybe allows for her to even consider coming back? Is there new management? Is there a change in the philosophy there at Lucasfilm? Or is this lawsuit intended to force a change in the environment at Lucasfilm? I don't know. Uh, the question, the question. well, E. Clay Thompson asked, why would she want to come back? Disney Star Wars is garbage now. Currently, yes. But what if... And this is a what if. So don't hold me to this. <clears throat> what if these various different reports that we've been getting about Favreau wanting to fix things, what if that's true? You know, Cameron, Cameron Pasha has reported that the Favreau coalition internally is trying to set things aright is trying to course correct, is trying to fix some of the problems that uh, that Disney Star Wars has had. And this Mandalorian and Grogu movie that got announced to basically uh, 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 upstage the, the news about the Ray movie, the timing on that is, is not an accident, I don't think. And WDW Pro, that, that gang over there is reporting that their, their scoop that they were going to have today that kind of got usurped by this Gina lawsuit, uh, they're hearing that the Mandalorian movie is being rushed into production and they'll start rolling in June. That was something they reported yesterday. They were, they were going to break that news this morning. Uh, but with the with the lawsuit uh, breaking yesterday, they went ahead. You know, WDW Pro managed to to squeak that in uh, on the on the show they did yesterday about the lawsuit. But if that's true, if Mandalorian movie is is going in front of cameras starting as early as June, then they have a script, and more than likely, it's season four reworked. So they can get rolling on it and do something that people might possibly, maybe, have an interest in. I don't know. We'll see. Because 
if they're doing the Mandalorian movie at, instead of season four, what does that mean for the rest of the Mandoverse for the for the for the uh, the Disney Plus universe, the Ahsoka verse, as it were? Because last we heard, Ahsoka season two is not moving forward yet. They're not in production. They're back in the development stage, which means rewrites probably. And who's in charge of that? And did did Dave Filoni getting the George Powell Memorial Award have any impact on any decisions that anybody made? Or will it? I don't know. I, I don't know if it makes a difference or not. And honestly, I, you know, E. Clay Thompson says until... Kathy Kennedy and Filoni are gone. I don't think it'll get better. I'm I'm with you on Kennedy. I'm in the air about Filoni because if Filoni is given the proper direction, and if and if Filoni has the right creative team around him, then he can tell a good story. He can, and he did learn at the knee of George Lucas, and he does know a lot of Star Wars lore how much of what he's been doing lately has been influenced by the forces female stuff and he's just going along to get along. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a question. How much of what he's been doing is influenced by his own personal politics. I mean, Ahsoka is his baby. So he's going to have a certain amount of, of, preference i guess you could say on that stuff but if if the mandalorian movie is taking place instead of season four of that show what does that mean for katie sackoff and bo katan what does that mean for pedro pascal because pedro pascal is doing the last of us and when he got signed to that project, that became his line one project, which means that the last of us schedule takes priority over any other project that he's got. And that includes Mandalorian, which he's doing most of it voiceover anyway. So it's not like it's going to put him out on his schedule. But if they're reworking the Fantastic Four schedule to allow for Pedro Pascal to do last of us, which, that's still a terrible casting move. He's probably committed elsewhere. He may not even be doing... There may not even be a season four on Mandalorian. Giancarlo, uh, Giancarlo Esposito has got a new project. That just got announced. Um, he's taking Andre Brower's role uh, because Andre Brower passed away. So they're recasting his character on, where is it, um, on The Residence, which is a Chandra Rhimes production. So Giancarlo Esposito is going to take over for that character. So what, kind of a, what, time, what kind of a time commitment is that for him? And I know, <coughs> ostensibly, uh, Moff Gideon is dead. But Nobody he was also dies. working. What? Nobody ever dies. Nobody ever dies. Well, I mean, he was working on clones, so he could come back. 
but yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting uh, to see the 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 earnings call is in two hours from now, and tomorrow is going to be a very lively discussion. I'm really looking forward to it because we're going to have a bunch of the gang back. Uh, Judah Engelmeyer will be here to talk about the PR aspects of this. Cameron Pasha will be here to talk about the inside baseball stuff. Uh, Dan Danford will look at the investment side, and uh, Mikey Mexican Iron Man is gonna is gonna try to call in. He's gonna be on the road, but he's gonna try to call in for a little bit and give his perspective. I'm really interested in what Mikey says because he's been following this and he's actually got people talking to him from inside Disney on some stuff. So his insights will be very relevant, I think. Uh, and then Destiny Bounds will be here to look at the legal side of all of this mess because uh, she's a business lawyer and uh, she's got her own firm here in the Kansas City metro and, and she's going to be looking at that aspect of things so we're going to have a packed show tomorrow uh and of course all of you who are going to be here and you are going to be here uh there you you'll get your chance uh to call in and and be part of the program as well if you so choose if you want to so assuming assuming that i have all of the buttons right uh did, did were you down here when i figured out what was the problem with uh no, with michael's audio uh, my microphone uh, going into StreamYard was set in the wrong place. So well, good. That, it's nice to know it wasn't, that it wasn't on his <laughs> end. I was like, no, I can't hear you, Michael. I can't hear you. Michael couldn't hear us. He can't hear us. Can't hear us. Can't. Hear us. Well, check this. Check this. Check that. He gets on his laptop. Still can't get. I, hang on. Wait a minute. Let me look at something. And this has happened before. Yes. StreamYard. Autumn randomly changes randomly, things on you. It does, and it, I get so irritated because every time I, I start up on streamer, I've tried to get into the habit of making sure that it's got the right camera and it's got the right microphone. And when it popped in today, I saw I, I see my camera is here, and it's it, you know I'm looking up at the screen and there it is and I'm there and I didn't even think about checking the audio, audio setting. So just two things. First of all, you need <laughs> just to pull two? up. I'm thirsty. I want to go get something to drink. <laughs> anyway, two things. First of all, you have to show the variety picture for the bunny, Mike oh, Tyson. Okay. Just because I had made reference to the. <clears throat> Nightwing with a mullet cartoon and how Catwoman looked like she got her outfit off of Wish. The fact that on this bunny picture, <clears throat> he's in black or it's in black pleather with a zipper is more Wish. And second of oh, all. Oh, that's that's. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't need to see that today. If I had to I see it, you had to see, see it. Michael, Mike Tyson, this is Variety, folks. Mike Tyson to play himself in offbeat superhero movie Bunny Man. Uh, being shot in Italy, former heavyweight boxing champion on Tuesday attended a press conference held in the northern city of Turin with Italian producer Andrea Yervolino uh, and writer Enrico Rimmert to announce Bunny Man, which will be shot entirely in Turin. Uh, Yavrilino, whose production credits include Michael Mann's Ferrari, 
the Johnny Depp star waiting for the barbarians in Lamborghini, the man behind the legends, producing the film via his Tata 2 shingle. Bunny Man involves a multimillionaire superhero who strikes against evil forces in anonymity wearing a rabbit mask, according to a provided synopsis. He's and a wish driven, outfit. Driven by the desire to avenge his sister who committed suicide after suffering a violent act. Um, wow. I That, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. You had to see it. If I had to see it, you had to see it. And, you know, according to everything, we're supposed to share stuff. According to the state of Missouri, half of that picture is yours. Yikes. (laughs) Second of all, you talk about the changing of how... How culture's changing. People are starting to sit there and say something back. The the only thing that culture has changed is you got a haircut. I'm not oh, you're, d- uh, you're not talking about culture. Don't get me started on him. <laughs> you know I'm disappointed. Uh, well. Anyway. No. So. But Li- no. Life is full of disappointments. <laughs> well, anyway. So. You know, things are starting to change with every with stuff. And this is a non-genre news thing but if anybody remembers when the chiefs who are in that sports ball game this weekend um there was the game and they showed the little boy who was dressed up with the headdress and yeah okay the The family is now suing the media outlet good they said they threatened they said hey if you guys retract your story and this and this and that, then we will leave it alone. And the news outlet went on about how uh, a bunch of other things, how the NFL is feeding into this type of culture and this and this and that, but never did anything in regards to the boy, the family, because they were getting threats, traumatized, etc. Yeah. So they are suing. Good for them. That that's the way that's the way it ought to be. So it, it's a happy it Sue week. Good. That's that's how things that's how things should be. Right. Okay, so uh two hours and counting for the Disney earnings call. We will record it. I will make notes with time codes so we'll have clips to play tomorrow. Uh, as we go through the show, will start at 1 p.m. Eastern, and I'm pretty certain it will start on time. <clears throat> so there it is. We're going to be talking about that uh, tomorrow on the program. Uh, the movie that we were talking about today, Molly and Max in the Future, uh, opens uh, this weekend on the 9th in select theaters on demand March 22nd. And uh, it will expand into additional theaters next Friday, the 16th of February. So there is that to look forward to. And let's see. Have we got any breaking news? Anything? Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to decide, well, we can go ahead and just wrap up today. And then something's going to happen. Uh, what is this one? Um, in person? Uh, Godzilla minus one with Takashi Yamazaki in person in Santa Monica. 
So a, a special screening looks like uh, for for that. Cam joins us in the call. Welcome, sir. How you doing? Are you there? Can I hear you? Oh, yep. Can you hear are. me? Yep. There you are. Okay. Sorry. Uh, good. How are you? I'm good. What's up? Uh, I have a completely off-topic topic to, to bring up um, it related to sci-fi and, and such, though. Uh, I just I've, I've, I got a bug in my head to watch some retrospectives on, on two shows, uh, Fringe and Lost, um, both of which have the same creators, as I recall. And, um, the, the, you know, I, I wasn't a real fan of Lost, uh, and I, and I didn't even watch a lot of it. I kind of caught up in, in the middle of it and, and then got watching it, but I did watch fringe, um, and ended up liking them both in their own ways. And, and, and the reason why I like them is because these are shows that have fairly deep lore, the lost lore, maybe a bit of a mess and everything. <laughs> yeah. But the, the reason I bring it up is, is just whoever's listening, maybe, look at some of those things and from the perspective of of the setting and the background and, and that i i think i've mentioned before when i'm on the show i really love deep lore kinds of things where i love tolkien and and you know uh dune for that matter and, and things that really put a lot into the setting that's that's the stuff that makes me love a property yeah and yeah i'm not sure i have kind of a sense that these things are lacking a little bit uh more recently i'm sure there's shows that i haven't seen and, and maybe do have deep lore but just thought i'd come on and mention that i happen to be doing some deep diving on those two particular shows and have really been enjoying it and this ties into my you know look to the past yeah. <laughs> uh, mindset well and i think i think there is something to be said for that because you can do you can do deep lore, and you can introduce it and have it in uh, in the mix of everything, and reveal it in pieces and bits and bobs, and people people grow to appreciate because they find out more about this world, and you don't have to do it with uh, giant info dumps of of exposition, and it and it does help. I'm. I'm I'm in the middle of writing my review of uh, of Wavelengths, and I keep talking about this book, but this book here kind of does what you're talking about. It uses the deep lore of the things what we are familiar with and does it and it takes it and kind of twists it just a little bit. Uh, there's one in particular here that he's, he's calling these alternate universes different frequencies. And there's one frequency where Gene Roddenberry had this massively successful career of all of these, you know, a string of hits TV shows, starting with Genesis 2, which was the second iteration of what eventually became Andromeda. And the deep lore, when you he mentions these little bits, these little nuggets, and those of us who under who who have been immersed in all of this, and understand all of the all of the behind the scenes, the background stories, and all that other stuff, you get a better you know you see these little things that you can appreciate. The you're in on the joke. 
And for story, for for series and movies that have that deep lore, the the biggest thing is, yeah, I'm I'm in on it. I understand it. I know what that reference is. It you know, it's it's like the it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen thing, right? Or or Captain America's like, I understood that reference. But you got to do also have to be careful to do it in a way that doesn't kick out anybody that doesn't know the lore. You know, it's got to be organic, and it's a it's a fine balancing act to strike to make sure that you don't put off any new people. And that's one of the things that Russell T. Davies ran into when he was talking about when he brought back Doctor Who. He, he, you know, they were talking about reintroducing various different elements of the lore of Doctor Who of that, you know, because you've got all of the history of the show. And he made it very clear coming back. He's like, yes, we're going to roll out other things, but we're going to do it a little bit at a time so as not to alienate all of the new people that are discovering the show. We're going to reintroduce some of this stuff. Instead of just look at all this massive homework you have to do, sure. So yeah, I mean yeah. that that stuff is is fun to have, but you got to be careful with it too. Yeah, and uh, I I actually would you know assuming there was a show like that, like I didn't know anything about Doctor Who and I started watching, I would personally I enjoy that kind of thing because it's like oh wait there's there's all this cool stuff back here you know it's like they kind of give you a little hint of it yeah. and then you. You know, I ran. I ranted about this the other day about exploring. You know, um, these things a few weeks ago, and and um, and that's just great fun for me. Is is to you know delve into this rich, uh, well, let's say a deep well. Yeah, yeah, it's always fun to do that, and because you never know what's going to get added to it too, because you know depending on how many writers you've got, depending on how long that show goes, or how many movies are in that that package uh and and the extended universe material all of the tie-in merchandise and whatnot there's all sorts of possibilities there for expanding the lore too i mean we saw that with star wars we see it with star trek uh where you get well even in doctor who the the whole cartmel uh plan you know the cartmel master plan that uh that andrew cartmel had to get the doctor back to being this mysterious alien and the 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 beginning of the universe and all his origin story all of this stuff that never showed up in actual show but there were pieces of the Cartmel master plan that ended up in the in the original novels that came out after the show was canceled so you know, there's all sorts of stuff that can be added to the lore depending on what it is, and then and then you got to decide how much of it is canon or not. Sure. And um, you know, I, I know that this will probably be very unpopular, but it and you were mentioning Dave Filoni a little earlier, is when <clears throat> when he was working on um, you know Clone War, well later Clone Wars stuff and and Rebels, for example, um, after they had ejected all the EU stuff. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with them doing that because I thought it was a, a bit of a mess and that they they have to have something to start with because yeah. otherwise you're just managing baggage. And personally, I'm not saying that all the choices were ones that I like, but I, I did like that they said, hey, we're, we're going to go back and we're going to look at Thrawn, for example, and we're going to see how we can bring him into this. 
again, I know people really love the original, original Zahn novels and all that, and, and I do too, but I, I did like how they were mining good material to try to bring it in. And in, in a lot of cases, I think they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, and, and that was something, too, that when, when, when Kathleen Kennedy said what she said about how we don't have we don't have material that we can pull from and everybody was like hey you got all this stuff it was a stupid thing for her to say but i understand where she was coming from because if your writers are sitting there and you've got this massive amount you've got 30 years of material to to pull from how do you tell an original story that incorporates all of this stuff that nobody outside of hardcore Star Wars fans are going to know. And again, that gets back to, you know, how much homework has to be done in order to keep up and catch up and know exactly all of the different references in the film. And where do you start pulling from if you're going to adapt something? Because you can't directly adapt the Heir to the Empire trilogy without recasting or doing it in animation. You can't directly adapt certain pieces of, of the EU. And like you say, they start, they start cherry picking and, and, okay, what can we use? What, what can we bring back into canon? I understood what Kennedy was trying to say. She said it very clumsily, and I think she did it in a way that, that antagonized fans. Um, yeah. Probably deliberately. But, you know, I, I can understand. Now... Dave Filoni's interpretation of Thrawn is, to me, it's Thrawn light. He's not as ruthless and as dangerous as Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn, yeah, to me. So, um, and and you're right. They 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 definitely could have dealt with that transition more instead of just being like, ah, it's just you know we're just kind of tossing it aside. Uh. But I do understand that, yeah, you, you have to tell a story that, you know, people, you know, the audience that they can get is not necessarily that hardcore fan. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but I always, I always thought that there was, it's the same thing when they're trying to adapt comics and things. It's like, oh, we have to do this. And it's like, why don't you look at one of the million stories that exist that people love already? My, my attitude with those kinds of things has always been, please the... I'm not going to say that, you know, the most extreme fan, but please the mainstream of fandom, mm -hmm. not the common audience, because the common audience, you know, that sits down for for something Star Wars, they don't know any of that stuff anyway, and they have nothing to be upset about. They're just going to kind of say, OK, that's fine. Right. Not, you know, bearing in mind what you said, that you, you don't have to bury them in homework. But if you please the fans, well, it, other people will kind of come along because. You know, the people that are just like, oh, let's go to the movie this afternoon. What are we going to say? Oh, Spider-Man? Yeah, great, Spider-Man. You know, they're not going to be upset one way or the other. Right. <laughs> but you could definitely alienate, you know, real fans. Well, and it's it's about accessibility. Uh, it's it's about the general audience. And you're right. There is, there is two different audiences there. You have the general population, which doesn't give a rip about any of the lore and, and the history and the, you know, the 12 movies that have come before the 16,000 books and, and the radio play and the, and the board game or the whatever. And then you have the diehard, hardcore, I know everything fan. 
and you have to tell a story that is accessible to both of those. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, Road Vagabond Life is right. The lore should be the Easter eggs for the people who know. It's that, you know, it's like that meme. If you know, you know. Yeah. It's for the, <laughs> yes, there, here's, a, here's a wink and a nod for all of us that are in on the gag. Other people are not going to get it, but if they don't get it, it's not going to keep them from understanding what's going on in the story. Right, and I think the mistake they make is it, instead of just saying, "Oh yeah, we're, that's just going to be out there," it exists in this version, you know, the movie version of something. Yeah. But you don't have to get into it necessarily. <clears throat> but too often they they instead say, "Oh well, we're going to change something to trample that," yeah. and that's that's the real mistake in my opinion. I can agree with that absolutely because you have to question the motivation of the change. What's right. prompting the change? What are you changing it? so that more general audience participation can happen? Or are you changing it because message? Uh, you know, what's your, what's your motivation for changing it? Yeah, are, and clearly that's been made clear that yeah. they are doing it for that reason, and I have no respect for that. Well, but there's, the, other, the other aspect of that, too, when it comes to changing things, is the J.J. The Abrams effect. Mm-hmm. Where he, he's not this. he's not changing it for political reasons, or you know personal ideology or anything like that. He's changing it because if he changes it enough, he makes money off of anything that happens with that version. You yeah. know the 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 twenty five percent rule. Yeah, and there I think there's probably some ego in there too. It's like oh well, this is mine now. You know I've yeah. I've Superman is mine now. You know, yeah, and and I get to say what it is, and and I don't like that either. Yeah, it's, well, and that's J.J. Abrams is a criminal as far as well, and that's something that I noticed in Filoni's speech uh, at the Saturn Awards when they gave him the George Powell Memorial Award. He he was not he was not on the ego trip. He was sitting there and and giving a a, a decent amount of credit still to George Lucas and you know I I wouldn't be here without George type of thing where he was acknowledging you know the influence that Lucas had on his career and all of the things that he's been able to do is because he got involved with Star Wars and he was he was George's protege so I I still you know for all of the people that want to throw Filoni out with the bathwater and, you know, kick, kick him out the same as, as Kathleen Kennedy. I don't know that he's necessarily in the crowd that needs to be done away with. I think that some of the storytelling choices he might or might not be involved in could be impacted by go along to get along what can i get away with what do i have to do in order he's 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 in survival mode maybe that's a guess on my part yeah i i agree i when 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 i got out of the last jedi i i literally i i tweeted uh you know uh, help us dave filoni you're our only hope (laughs) because at, at the time you know again this was rebel i was real i was a big fan of rebels and everything and I think if left to his own devices, if somebody just said, here, Dave, go make Star Wars, it would be pretty in line with, you know, what he learned from George Lucas and and pretty good stuff. Um, I think so. I, I, I think it's 
probably uh, certain that he has been caught up in all of this internal politics stuff. And he's, like you said, whether he's, you know, just trying to keep his head down and, and go along to get along, or if he's been brought over to that side, I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's been a positive change uh, for him. Yeah. And I'm disappointed, you know. In- well, I, I think I think a lot of Filoni's decisions are probably probably motivated by self-preservation. Yeah, they have reasonable. to be, because if if John Favreau has stepped away, like we heard he probably did when it comes to Book of Boba Fett and, you know, we had we had Skittle Scooter Crew and, you know, Favreau, after Gina's fired and Favreau is basically not getting to do things his way, he's like, okay, I'm done. I walk away. And we heard the the report and, and no, nothing has been able to substantiate this. So this is still rumor. But there was a report at one point where Bob Chapek brought Favreau in and said, "What can I? What can we do to keep you?" And he says, I, "Let me do my own thing. I don't report to Kathy anymore. I'm mm-hmm. going to report to uh, was it Alan Horn or whoever whoever was higher up in the food chain over it. Same kind of deal with Feige at Marvel. You know, Feige didn't want to work with the story group anymore because you know Perlmutter and and." Uh, uh, what's his name at at uh, at Marvel Comics? Crap, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, no, not Feige. Uh, 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 he was the editor in chief at, at Marvel at the time. I can't remember. Al- Alonzo? No. Sobolski? Um, Sibol- not Sobolski. The the guy who was EIC before Sobolski. Um, oh, that's gonna bug me now. Somebody help me out in the chat. I I don't. I can see it. I, I, he's, he's right there. But anyway, the story group, Feige, Feige said, they're interfering with what I want to do. I'm only going to report to Alan Horn or I walk. And Chapek says, okay, you know, or, or Iger at that point. But Chapek had reportedly the same kind of meeting with Favreau, where Favreau says, I don't want to deal with these people, Kathleen Kennedy, the Star Wars story group, or whatever. I'm, I'm doing my thing. Or I'm not doing anything, and I walk. And if that's the case, then Favreau steps away because that's a negotiating ploy. I'm done. I'm, I'm walking away from this because you're interfering with my stuff. Leaves Filoni hanging, basically, because mm-hmm. Filoni can't walk with him because Favreau is not an employee of Lucasfilm. Filoni is. Yeah. So he can't just stop. So I would imagine he's probably like, well, I, I, I either play ball or my head's going to roll and then I can't do anything Star Wars anymore and we can't fix it. Because I think Favreau and Filoni have a plan in place to do better Star Wars. They just need a chance to do it. Yeah, I think, I think it, again, if left on, on their own, those two would have been a pretty solid team. I mean... People like Mandalorian, you know, the, the early seasons of it. At yeah. Least. Yeah. The beginning. And that was that was their work. You know, I mean, so it, it, well, another opportunity lost, I guess. Well, and it's not totally lost because there's still, you know, depending on how everything goes in the next six months, uh, we could see some shifts. We, sh- we could see some changes in management. 
at uh, at Lucasfilm. And if Nelson Peltz and Elon Musk and Ike Perlmutter and their crowd get their way, if the Tryon nominees, if, if Peltz and, and Rosulo end up on the board, I would think that immediately their first thing would be, let me see the books, now we fire Bob Iger. I would say that that would probably be the first the first items on their agenda would be to get Iger out. And if that's the case, <clears throat> they put somebody up as CEO who answers to the board rather than the other way around like it is now. And you influence the board and start making decisions, okay, where where are we losing money? Why are we losing money? Oh, you're fired. And 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 start taking responsibility. The board has a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders and they have not been they've not been exercising that because the board has been answering to the CEO rather than the other way around like it should be. Yeah, and I, I agree with that whole idea. Uh, but I I am just so jaded about it at this point that it's like it, oh, yeah. it's almost a unachievable fantasy you know yeah. level. It, it, I wish it would, but I just have yeah you know it's so it's one of these one of these I'll believe it when I see it type of moments. Sure. Um, because the assumption would be with with Gina's lawsuit, for example, that Dizzy will try to settle. Because that's what they try to do on everything. They settled with the the SEC whistleblower that they had here a few years ago uh, who came forward and says Disney's cooking their books. And that's gone away. I would imagine they're going they're they're probably going to settle with Karen McCarthy over over her acolyte lawsuit unless. This lawsuit from Gina folds into oh wait a minute because elon's saying hey if any of you have had this problem this this could turn into a class action lawsuit yeah or 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 gina's lawsuit goes forward by itself and then the class action lawsuit comes right behind it with everybody else yeah and and a few years ago i would have said ah never never happened there but well, Elon basically turned the whole Twitter thing around. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, you know, so uh, and, and clearly he's fired up about this, you know, or at yeah. least he's pushing buttons. Uh, well, so. and and for him to show up at that movie that movie premiere with Nelson Peltz, and for the photo ops that happened, and somebody says, "Hey, Elon, what are you here?" He's, "Oh, I'm just here with friends, thinking about companies to acquire." I mean, yuck, 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 right? But he's wearing the bomber jacket that he wore at the book summit that New York Times put together a few weeks ago, yeah. where he spoke after Bob Iger spoke about the adver- about pulling advertising from X, and shots fired there. I mean, Musk made no bones about what he was thinking, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to blackmail me with your money. If you don't want to advertise an X, fine, take your money elsewhere. Go F yourself. Yeah. And I think he's, I think at some point there, he started having conversations with Nelson Peltz and the Triad group 
And over the weekend, you started seeing the photographs. I think Elon's going to make a play for Disney. I think he's going to at least look at buying enough shares of the company that he can have a direct impact on what kind of things they do, the direction mm-hmm. they go. If not buying yeah. it outright, he he buys it outright and takes it private. <clears throat> then, then you're then you're singing from a completely different book. Wow, that would be insane. Uh, but he he is the best funded troll in history. So, <laughs> and he could do it too. He's got the resources. He could do it. He could buy the the Walt Disney Company. And and if that's the case, then I would say fire sale the whole thing you know sell pixar sell marvel sell lucasfilm go back to doing what they do which is making family-oriented product movies television you know comic books uh, you know coloring books whatever disney princess stuff and you know be a distribution arm for marvel studios be a distribution arm for lucasfilm but you don't have to own them outright yeah, that's the thing. It, unlike Twitter, which I'm, I mean, I, I'm not sure how they're doing financially, but Disney could be producing, you know, significant profit if if yeah. they just gave people what they want. So it wouldn't be like a black hole that he'd be throwing his money into, like maybe Twitter is. Right. Well, it is going to be a fun year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Can't wait for it's, April. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and, and, and like I said earlier, I, I have no doubt that the Q&A session today is going to be very, very, very tightly locked down. Oh, yeah. You're, I don't think you're going to get anybody who sneaks in there and says, oh, hey, what about your association with the gay choir over there in San Francisco? At, you know, like, like what happened a couple of two or three calls back uh, where Iger got caught flat-footed with a bunch of confrontational calls. That they weren't expecting. I you you better bet they're going to have this thing locked down as much as they can today. No doubt. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. We're not like I said. We're not going to snipe it. We're not going to stream live and do reaction. Valiant Renegade is going to do it. Everybody's going to be watching them. Uh, but uh, we will. I I will record it, and we'll have notes and we'll have discussions on it uh, tomorrow. So sure. Anyway. All right, that's going to wrap us up today, folks. I do appreciate everybody being here, and I appreciate Michael Litwack being here for talking about his movie. Uh, you can find us on the various different social media platforms and uh, different video channels. Uh, go subscribe over on the other places because you never know. Uh, with YouTube acting up and buffering, who knows? Maybe we just need to do some exclusive streams to odyssey and rumble or or something i don't know but uh anyway do check that out and also be here tomorrow because we will be doing the big uh meddling kids discussion about things going on with the walt disney company we're going to talk about the earnings call we're going to talk about the lawsuit we're going to talk about the offers that have been made for paramount uh, because that's a, that's a thing. We're going to talk about uh, quarterly report for Fox and uh, some layoffs. So who knows? Who knows what's going to come into the discussion tomorrow? But that is tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, and we'll go probably the full three hours. In the meantime, uh, you can go watch. You know, go watch Valiant Renegade if you want, and and they'll do this. They'll do the uh, the earnings call today, and uh, yeah. It's going to be an interesting, interesting year. Uh, 
and we're just in February. February's just started. It's going to be a crazy time. All right, that's it, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. But God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2024, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.